What's up, Sifters? Welcome to Game Face, episode 231 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield, the founder of Sifted, the world's most advanced gaming website. And I'm here today to talk to you for the next couple hours about the biggest stories in games. And alongside me to do that is Matthew Kyle. What's up, Matt? Hey. How's your week been? Not much. Um, long. I like your hair, like man. I, w- I like your hair now that it's getting longer. So you got past that stage in the middle where you look terrible, where your hair isn't short and it's not long oh, yet good. and it just looks awful. I got to that stage and I cut my hair myself. I am now back at that stage and I am now gathering <laughs> up the fortitude to cut my hair myself again. Um, so yeah, you actually just, tucked it long. out and made it through to the point where it actually is long hair and it looks good. So, I mean, this is just wet, really. Wow. I, 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 I Clean yourself up for the one. show, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, it's got a little man bun. Yeah, in the back. look at like that. Oh, are you going to let it keep going even after all this insanity is over? I don't think so. I don't like it very much. Yeah. It's a lot it's, to take care of. It's a pain in the butt. It's a lot to take care of. Yeah. Like, I, I don't like blow drying things. Yep. Um, <laughs> all that stuff you have to do. You normally because you got to, or it looks terrible. Yeah. It just dries all weird and frizzy. And it just it's like laying all in weird places. I hear you, man. I've I've had long hair a few times in my life, but I have really no interest in going back to it again. Those yeah. are my I mean, I've days. had I've had shaggyish hair. It was the '90s, right? But yeah. like. Like I've never, it's never been this long before. This is, this is like, like if I let here. this go, it hangs down below my chin wow. like in the front. And I'm like, it's, it's like, it's beyond anything I've let it get. It's either that or like cut it myself and I'm not going to do that. So. Yep. I did that once. And my wife was shocked at how good of a job I did. I walked <laughs> out of the bathroom and she was like, I think you did better than like the girl who usually cuts your hair. I think she was just patronizing me to, to make because I was like really freaked mm-hmm. out. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna look like a freaking idiot." And I think she was just trying to make me feel better. But anyway, it is what it is. That's life in the quarantine, and we're still locked down hardcore here in LA. I know mm-hmm. some of you guys out there watching the show, you may be in Europe or Asia or even just another part of America, and like life is like kind of going back to New normal Zealand, for where you. things are, or like Australia, New Zealand, where it's basically. Back to normal. Almost. We're China. We're chi- China. Just celebrated like this huge holiday over the weekend, where like six million people traveled or whatever. That's not like that here in LA. It's just like it was on day one. So we're still suffering through it. But hopefully, we're helping you guys get through all this insanity. Uh, we do have another offline episode of Game Face for you guys this week. We're hoping we can get back with a live streaming episode next week or the week after. Again, we're kind of beholden to the schedule of our TriCaster TD. Um, It's actually been kind of good because I think the shows look and sound better, especially last week, than it ever has. Um, Obviously, 1080p, 60 frames a second. We're recording our B-roll at high bit rates. The show looks great, but it is so much work for me. Everything the TriCaster just does automatically, and when the show's done, it's done. I have to do all that by hand now while we don't have a TD, and we're just unfortunately in a position where we don't have a choice. So anyway... Uh, the show looks better. However, financially, it has been a problem for us. Um, I just checked yesterday at our Twitch Prime numbers, and they're literally cut in half right now for the month. And as I've said before, um, we need that money. It's not like extra bonus cash. Like We need it to pay our bills, to pay the bandwidth, to pay for our studio, which we literally literally use like five days a month now. Re-up in the studio ended up not being a great idea. But anyway... Um, If you guys could take a moment to go to twitch.tv 
slash sifted games and literally just click that get the sub button. It'll take you five seconds. Um, it makes a huge, huge difference for us. And again, because the, st- the show isn't streaming live, we're not getting all the Twitch Prime that we usually get. And again, we need it. So I'd really appreciate it if you take a second. Uh, I did have a link up in the header of Sifted for a couple days. It's going to go back up here in another day or two because we literally need the money. So anyway, if you take a minute to do that, we'd really, really appreciate it. We do have a great show for you today. 231, we got three pretty big games to talk about. Some fun topics. I'm really excited to do it. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Do you live life outdoors? The Shazer Ryan Realty has a nice level lot just outside of Libby, Montana. That's perfect for you. With access to Crystal Lake via shared dock and boat ramp, it's an ideal location to build the getaway home of your dreams or just park your RV. Enjoy fishing, paddleboarding, kayaking, boating, and more just a few steps away. It can be yours for just $72.5. No matter where you live, contact Doug DeShazer at 406-291-1643 or DeShazerMT at gmail.com. Even if you're not looking for property in Montana, he can connect you with local realtors in your area who can help you. If you want to see more, head over to DeShazerRyanRealty.com. That's DeShazerRyanRealty.com. All right, once again, thanks to DeShazer Ryan Realty for sponsoring Game Face. Uh, just like Twitch Prime, it makes a gigantic difference to our finances. So thank you very much. And again, let's keep the money in the family and support him if you can. Now, it's time for our poll of the week. I'll say this. I thought this was going to be the most popular poll of the week we've ever done. Uh, it ended up being the least popular poll of the week that we've ever done. I was way off on this one. And I think part of it might be that the story had broken way earlier than Matt and I talked about it. And then the poll went up after that. So the poll of the week was Xbox buying Bethesda. Home run, right? Every, mm. Everybody wants to voice their opinion on that. I think we got to you guys a little late uh, to the point where you had kind of already digested it. And figured out your opinion on it. So we did not get a crazy amount of responses, but we did get some great comments from you guys. Um, let's see. Let's look at the poll first. So there were four options. The first option was um, Xbox buying Bethesda. It makes me angry because I'm a PlayStation guy or girl. Uh, the second option was it's upsetting, but I kind of understand. Meaning if you're a PlayStation fan, you get that paying for publishers, paying for exclusive content is just part of the business. It's the way it works. Uh, The third option is it makes me bummed for others, but as an Xbox fan, I'm happy. So that option was for those Xbox fans who are very, very happy about the purchase, but also understand what it's like to be on the other side of the coin uh, and being the person who isn't going to get those games going forward. And then the final option was just made me pre-order an Xbox, meaning it sealed the deal for you. It made you put down your 500 bucks. Uh, And with that, we will reveal the results. So as you can see, the most popular option was it's upsetting, but I kind of understand. So that's basically the perspective of the PlayStation fan who's, you know, I'm not happy about this, but you know what? We've been the beneficiaries of exclusive basically stuff that's been paid for in the past, and so I think they understand it. Uh, The second most popular was just made me pre-order an Xbox with 23%. Uh, So this purchase had a huge impact on your buying decisions. Again, surprised that because of that, we didn't get a huge response for this poll, but obviously you guys are really pumped about it. You think it's a big deal. Uh, the, the third most popular response, and right behind it with 21%, was makes me bum for others, but as an Xbox fan, I'm happy. And again, that was the Xbox fan saying, sucks to be you, I get it, but 
Yeah. <laughs> and then the least popular option of all, with only 5% of the vote, was makes me angry because I'm a PlayStation guy or girl. So it doesn't look like too many of the dyed-in-the-wool PlayStation fans are all that upset about it. Uh, I think at this point, everyone kind of gets it, that it's just the nature of the business, and that's just kind of the way things are going to work uh, going forward. So, uh, Matt, anything that kind of struck your fancy with the results of that poll? Not really. I mean, I also think that even if you're a PlayStation person, you probably have um, a PC as backup somewhere, and you'll be able to play Bethesda stuff on that. So, like, and also, we still don't really know. Like, it, I, I find it surprising that people would pre-order an Xbox at this point when you don't even know what they're going to do with Starfield or whatever years down the line. I mean, it um, seems like it's starting to become more clear. Am I crazy for thinking that? Maybe. Like, I don't. I don't know if we're going to know until they come out and say what's happening with that. Like. There might be deals still in place. They might have stuff going on. You know, clearly Sony was trying to buy Starfield for a while. Um, it's just hard to say. Uh, and like we talked about before, like you know, we just don't know how the math shakes out. Like it might be more lucrative to them, to Microsoft, to reap the benefits of sales on other platforms versus you know trying to convince people to buy their their hardware because they have to. Because like it's just. I don't know. Like, it just seems like um, it seems like that's not really something they particularly care about at this point. What struck um, me the most, honestly, was the kindness in this poll. Because if you look, the two middle options are basically it's a part of business. I get that, but I do understand that it sucks for you. And I like that 72 percent of respondents were apathetic towards the other side, uh, regardless of which side you were on. Everybody gets it. Like. It does suck when games become exclusive to a platform, but it's just the nature of the beast. So I like that you guys showed a lot of compassion in your responses. Um, and I am surprised that only 5% said it made them angry. Um, but again, I think another that might be another function of the average age of the gamer on Sifted. You know, we're almost – the average age is almost 40 years old. And so I think people are maybe a little more mature and look at things with a, a little bit more of a level head. We're pretty much a fanboy-free zone on Sifted. There's not a lot of, like, raging fanboys who come in and argue with people irrationally over their favorite console or their favorite game. Um, again, it's what I set out to do when I launched Sifted was create a site where it would be that way. And it has actually worked out over time because I think a lot of people mm -hmm. come to the site and they don't fit in because they realize – there aren't people here raging about the console wars. Like, what am I going to do here? I'll be bored. And they just leave. So um, early on, there were a lot of Nintendo people like that. But but eventually, they all got squeezed out, too. You're right. In, in the beginning, a lot of Nintendo fans did come over, and they were acting like that. But eventually, they became toxic. They either got mm -hmm. banned because they were acting like jerks, or they just felt out of place and left. So um, it, I'm proud to see the results of this poll, because it does show that what I set out to do is sifted from the beginning is working at least in some ways. So... Thanks for responding. I do have a couple comments from you guys that I want to read. The first one is from Magister. He says, I own nearly all Bethesda's games, but I do not really care about this uh, as first-person games are really not my thing. Now, if this makes more quality games come out from Bethesda and Microsoft, then great. I'll play them on PC. <laughs> uh, this will not cause me to buy an Xbox, today at least. Um, and I, he brings up a good point there. Like, we don't know everything yet. So maybe it's hard to say it's going to make you buy an Xbox, but I have a feeling that 
when we see that first real trailer for the Elder Scrolls 6, not just this little teaser thing that we've had to use for the last two years, when we see the first trailer of that game, I have a feeling some perspectives might start shifting pretty quick. And if Starfield is shown for the first time in full and it looks amazing... Again, I think you'll start seeing more shifts in that other direction. So I understand what Magister is saying, but again, it's a little early to kind of figure out whether it's really going to have a huge impact yet. Um, Let's see. Here's one from Erebus Jones. Uh, And he, for the record, he is excited about Xbox Series X. Um, Just from being around him on the site a lot, he talks about it a lot. Um, he plays everything else, he likes everything else, but he has been excited about Series X. And he says, uh, I chose bummed for others, but I don't feel it fully agree with the second sentence. I detest exclusive content, I'm still salty, and boycotting the Avengers game because of Spider-Man. So to say anything else would be hypocritical. I like a man of, uh, of his scruples. Uh, but not as an Xbox fan, rather a paid-up Game Pass subscriber. I'm really ha- happy about this deal as it's made that subscription even more valuable, and that's a great thing for me. I hope Bethesda games still come to other systems. I don't think they will. I tend to agree with them. I think after... And we have another topic later on in the show. Where we're going to talk about how Bethesda is kind of distributing its stuff out right now. Uh, but I agree with them. I think on down the road, your chances of getting Bethesda games on PlayStation are going to be slim to none. Um, and then here's one final comment from Toothless Gibbon. Uh, he says none of the above. He chose none of the options. And maybe that was the problem. Maybe a lot of people went to the poll and just never actually chose something. Uh, but he says none of the above. I believe the major IPs will still come to PlayStation, so I'm indifferent about it. I don't know, Toothless. <laughs> don't that's, a, uh, that's a bold move, Cotton. Yeah, I don't know, bro. <laughs> It would be it would be pretty silly of Microsoft to allow like Elder Scrolls or Starfield to launch on PS5 mm-hmm. day and date. It just it would be. At the very least, you're gonna have to wait. You're gonna have FOMO. You're gonna watch other people playing it for a year, year and a half before it comes to PlayStation. So there's gonna be value there, I think, in the future. Now, not so much, uh, but in a couple years when those games start rolling out from Bethesda, there is gonna be a lot of value behind this, and that'll give. Xbox a nice little kick in the pants for kind of the second lap, so to speak, around the two or three Mm -hmm. year mark. So it could work out well. Um, So anyway, that's our poll of the week for episode 231. There will be a new poll up in the header at sifted.net here in the next couple of days. Make sure you jump in there and make your voice heard. And with that, it's time for the first real topic of Game Face 231. And we're going to discuss the biggest game that was released this week, at least in my opinion, And that game is Star Wars Squadrons. It is a Rogue Squadron-like-ish. No, it's not. It's really not. (laughs) I was trying to warm it up, Matt, but you're right. It's not at all. I mean, I've had this discussion with... uh, Rogue Squadron is an arcade shooter. Uh, This and X-Wing are flight sims. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was too much of a sim. Squadron. Well, it's a, it would be categorized as a flight sim in... It's more in-depth uh, than Rogue Squadron was, I'll say that. It would, be, it, it would be categorized as a flight sim in the 90s. Like, this is okay. Wing Commander and X-Wing. Okay. And, and it doesn't have to that. be, like, flight simu- Microsoft Flight Simulator to be a flight sim, but that's what we would describe these games as back in the day. Um, it's hard to say what we do now because they don't fucking make them. You know, right. like, it's like this and Rebel Outlaw Galaxy and um, Ace Combat, and that's pretty much it. You know, like the 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 accessible, and Ace Combat's even a little too arcadey for that. Like it's it's uh, it's a lost genre. Really, it is. Um, the setup for the game it does have a plot and it does have a story. And I will say, one of the things I was pleasantly surprised by was how they presented the story. Um, I really thought we'd get a lot of 
uh, animated art stills with voiceover mm-hmm. and text. But no, they have real-time rendered cinematics in the game, uh, full voice acting, full facial animation, legit cinematics. Now, they're not mind-blowing or great, but they have them, and that was more than I actually expected. Uh, and then the plot mm-hmm. basically follows... Um, a leader for the Empire who defects and joins the Rebels and then leads a squadron of Rebels. And that's kind of how the whole thing kicks off. Uh, how did you, were you surprised by the story, Matt? Did you think it had more or less story elements than you expected? Um, I mean, from what I'd seen in like the pre release stuff, it's about what I expected. I do have some weird things. Like, so it's, it's interesting. So it takes place after Return of the Jedi. Like the, the prologue mission takes place between Star Wars and Empire. Yep. Uh, which is where the the officer defects, um, and you play both sides. Like you you start out on his squadron, and then it shifts to rebel side, and you fly in on an X wing, and he defects, and you escort him out. Um, so it's kind of like, it, and that's the whole campaign. You switch back and forth as 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 things go on. Um, the one thing I'm a little surprised, I was a little surprised by a was how, like you said, how full fledged. A lot of it was like in terms of cinematics and in terms yeah. of like talking to characters between missions and stuff. But I was also surprised at how much it felt like a ton of stuff got gutted out of this game. Um, Meaning, mean because like um, part of it is because it's clearly built for VR. Um, oh yeah, like the the hangar stuff is clearly like you're able to look around. I and wish look at I people could. I wish in non VR, I had like a free look when I was mm-hmm. in the ship so I could look around and, like, get kind of a... Because basically what I end up doing in this game is, like, tap X, shoot ship. Tap X, mm-hmm. shoot ship. And X is what switches your targets in the game, basically what you're locked onto. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you just tap X, it'll lock onto a nearby ship, start following it on your radar, get behind it, shoot it, knock it out of the sky, hit X, find the next one, rinse and repeat. That's what I found myself doing in this game Pretty much the whole time. I mean, there's a lot of that in. I mean, there's there's nuance to it. Like if you double tap that button, like I'm playing it on an Xbox, so unfortunately I didn't get to play it in VR yet, because um, the person I wanted, wanted to play online with me once wanted to play it on Xbox because she likes the controller better. Okay. Um, but uh, you like double tap that button and it'll target whoever's targeting you. Yeah. Um, part of the problem. So I am pretty impressed. Like what I was saying about the the gutted part is um, while there is clearly VR friendly, like when you talk to the different pilots, there's weird pauses between their thoughts and dialogue. And I would bet money that you were originally going to be able to talk to them with dialogue choices. No. And that they would react to you. You mean like mid-mission? Like while the mission's going no, on? No, like during, in the between-mission stuff. Oh, and like the, in the there hangar. are those little like vignettes where yeah. like in between they, like the fights where they start talking Right, because there's stuff. spaces yeah. in those for re- responses. There is. Yeah. And you can tell that they're in there. And sometimes like, especially on the Imperial side, there's things where like it feels like you it feels like they're reacting to something you would have said, and so like I, I with no evidence for it, I don't know anybody who worked on this game. Um, I would argue that there was probably a time when not only was there supposed to be like branching dialogue choices, but you were supposed to be able to make them like or dislike you, and that would impact whether or not they followed your orders or helped you in the missions. Oh, interesting. Like I think that was I think that was probably part of the game originally. I would be surprised, um, Matt, because the overarching kind of feeling that I have from this game is that it's a part of another game, and they just chopped well, it, it out and released well, it, it as its own game. Well, it was, but I think when they chopped that out, I think they got ambitious. Okay. And then they had to scale it back. 
Um, I think because I think once they got kind of like, oh, we're going to have let you do your own game. I think that's when the story got more full fledged. And like, I think that was part of like, oh, we can make it like a little more, you know, RPG ish. And at a certain point, I think they just had to roll it back. But I think in the script, the way that the dialogue is delivered in the hangar sections, the script feels like it was written for dialogue choices to be part of it. I'd agree with that. Um, I've got that vibe before. If it, yeah. I didn't pick up on that, but I could tell there was something disjointed and mm-hmm. missing about the dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah, they're def- I think that's that's what it is. And like it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like it's still the there because the by job is, done. By, by the way, it's great. I do yeah, want to say good. that. Like the voice work in this game is amazing. It's not yeah. the quality and, of the voiceover; it's how it's implemented. Yeah, and they've got like um, yeah, it's a tech. It's a, you can just tell it's a presentational thing from yeah. the from the tech side more than it's not the not the voices are bad. I mean, they even got Dennis Lawson in to do Wedge. Yeah. Like, like there's yeah. there's a lot of like deep cuts in this. There's some references to some some of the old games. There's references to uh, Rebel. Tons of references to rebels the the cg cartoon series they did including yeah. a couple of characters who show up um which i really like because that's a really good show um i love that they put the the freighters from the old games in yeah. like that, that's the first time we've seen those pretty much since those old games like those weird like flat ones with the big sides yeah, like those yeah. have those have not been seen since the old x-wing tie fighter game so that really? was cool yeah i didn't know that that those were only in those games huh. like those were completely made up for those games um and it's like the. Hmm, I got I tons know. of I notes. Can... If you want me to start r- ripping them off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a. I look. One I, voice I didn't like was Vader's. Vader. Does, I don't think Vader Vader's sounds anything job. like him. They, they they struggle with getting Vader right in all. They've always have, even back when back in the LucasArts days. Like sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they get it, someone who could do a good James Earl Jones impression, but it sounded like the like the processing was off. Like it, they now, never Earl quite Jones nailed. Died, right? No, James Earl oh, Jones is alive. Still. Okay. Yeah, he's old, but he's alive. A, he costs a lot. B, he's pretty much retired. And C, uh, he costs a lot. Also, he doesn't really really sound like... He also doesn't really sound like himself anymore. Uh, so you can't as really much. do like, the voice anymore. If you if you watch Rogue One, that's him doing doing the voice, and you can tell he's struggling. Not the same. Yeah, and, that's age. Age affects people's voices for sure. It just made mine crack. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Great audio in general. I will say this. Yeah. I think that they used the Star Wars license very well. They pour the music on, the sound effects on. The audio in this game in general is just great. The sound, mm-hmm. the surround sound, the 5.1, the channel separation, the the location tracking, just incredible. And in this game, which I also did not play in VR because I didn't want to puke all over myself, in this game, the audio is a huge help, especially when there's people trailing, by, or there's ships trailing behind you. You can tell where they are behind you using mm-hmm. your satellite speaker. So the audio in this game is great. I feel like they did a good job using sort of those assets they were given for that stuff. Let's talk about how it plays, though. So you already said that it's uh, more complicated than, like, the Rogue Squadron games. I would agree with that. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's that much more complicated, to be honest. And I don't know if part of it is that because the Rogue Squadron games are so old, and I've played so many games since then, that I've just gotten more adaptive and better at control schemes like this, but I was able to jump into this and just take right off and start fighting like no problem. Well, the the, the dirty little secret about basic flight sim stuff is that it's not that hard. If it was, planes would crash more. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, uh, the most of the difficulty I've had in adjusting to the controls in this game have been because of A, my expectations for what it is coming from the pedigree of the old games, and B, um, 
the weird layout they have as default. Um, like they they do a thing with it where like the layout of how the the game controls when you the, in the default controls is basically like a first person shooter. Yep. Um, they which the, is probably the left, why I was able to jump right in and start blasting. <laughs> right, but like left so left stick is pitch up and down. Yep. And yaw left and right, so like just flat, flat turn left right. Yep. Uh, right stick is throttle, which I hate, um, and roll. Uh, See, throttle Matt, should I have ne- them flipped actually. My left stick is throttle and roll. Oh right, right, you're right. No, you're right. That, I didn't know is. if you flipped them, but that's how I, I did flip them. them. I did flip them because that's all wrong. Like, like, <laughs> my, like you steer the ship with your left thumb on a st- like that. Like that to me, that's that's nonsense. I that did that's on eventually that side. adapt, but I'll tell you this, Matt. Because the roll is on the same stick as accelerate and deaccelerate. My ship was always flying like half cocked. Right. So That's I'm always nonsense. flying like this, like, and then I'm constantly having to tap left or right on the left stick to basically get the right. orientation back. It, it and that's like something crazy. I don't like about it. Like the yep. here's the like they kept pretty much all the complexity of the old games. Like the power management's still there. Yep. Uh, the flight freedom is still there. Uh, being having to use all your targeting options to like keep track of where everything else is is still there. Like they did not dumb this game down at all compared to the old games in my opinion. I think they dumbed it down a little bit in the sense that they handhold you more during the missions and kind of like you got voices calling out like what you need to do next. Well, um, but that's just, but that's just modern. <laughs> but, but that's just modern video game design. Yeah, um, there's a that's, lot that's of that's an improvement. And following somebody through. Okay, yeah, now here's I'm another a, skirmish. Finish the skirmish. Now follow me again, and then you follow him again, and then you get another. Yeah, skirmish. I mean that is that is this genre. That yeah. is what this. And there's there's two ways to go about that. There is the way this does it, which is like, yeah, you, you know, okay, now this section of the mission's done, so you follow whoever to like the next section, and they sort of talk while they hap- that happens. Or there's the wing commander uh, version, which when the when the action's over, you have the option to hit autopilot, and it just flies you through a quick cinematic to your next action sequence, yeah. which is how Rebel Galaxy Outlaw handles it. Mm. I might add. So that's that's a that's a that's a just a philosophical difference. The X-wing and Tie Fighter games have always made you sit through the boring parts. <laughs> so that's that's true to form. I don't know if that's the real way to go about it. Um, granted, the the story is pretty short. The meat of this game is the multiplayer. Um, but here's my thing. So like we yeah, already talked only about seven, eight hours ish. I would say that's about right. Yeah. Um, also like that's pretty good. Cause look, there are some missions in the old games that are long. Like yeah. there are some hour long escort missions in the X-Wing and TIE Fighter and you don't need that anymore. <laughs> no. So the controls on this game, um, like they're there, like the, I don't like the, so I switched the controls around. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like I move for, so, you know, having roll on a separate stick from pitch is nonsense to me because like, yeah. that's not how planes fly. Right. Pla- a, a plane stick is roll and pitch. And yeah. then the yaw is controlled uh, usually with foot pedals from your, right. f- for the rudder. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you want to put it on another stick, fine. You want to put it on, so a lot of games put it on the shoulder buttons, which is fine. Ace combat puts it on the, the bumpers, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I switched roll to the to the pitch stick, and the problem is, uh, this game has some weird bug in it when you do that. Um, and people who use flight sticks and, and like hottest setups have dis- discovered this first because they put roll on the flight stick, obviously, because that's where it's supposed to be. And when you try to pitch and roll at the same time on the same stick, it 
drops the control input by 50% for, for roll and pitch. So you are steering basically half as fast as you're supposed to when you're trying to pull a maneuver. And there's videos you can see online of this where people did it on PC where they did it with a stick and did it with a controller and it's like this slow turn and then they switch to keyboard and they get full input and it just rolls. Like huh. it's, it's it's like, oh, that's how fast the fucking A-wing's supposed to turn over, yeah. yeah. And like- They'll figure that out pretty quick. Though. So I had to switch it back to the other stick because when it's separate, it works fine. But I'm like, how in the world <laughs> well, did that it, get obviously. through? They didn't do everything. It's, they didn't. And try it's on flipping. all platforms. That's on PC and PS4 yeah. and Xbox. Is on all they just of them. Never so tested like, it. They never tried. I it. guess. Like, who the hell didn't do that? <laughs> I do think they'll like, fix that like, pretty quickly, though. That and would I recognize be like patch. having. Having. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they're even going to get a patch on this thing. They're getting You'll very think. minimal support. Um, they're not planning any DLC. Like yeah. there's no like there's basically like a one-off almost. So hopefully they do get to address some stuff. It is an online game. You want it to survive it all. You're gonna have to do some patches. I think they're we'll just see, trying we'll to recoup like the first three or four years of motive. Honestly, maybe. I mean, like, but it's like, like, like I mean, that is really disappointing. And I can for... play it with the other stick, but like it's not comfortable and it doesn't work right. And I real, you know, talking to some of my friends who are younger and never played the old games. Um, I recognize that I am coming to this from a very different perspective as someone who loves flight, you know, flight games, and it just doesn't play right, and it and that hampers my ability, not just my ability to enjoy, it, my ability to fucking play it properly. Right. I have a hard, hard time effectively dogfighting with roll on a separate stick from pitch. It's just completely unnatural to me. I hear you. Um, and like, so I'm disappointed in that, um, and it, it actually puts a damper on wanting to play it. Like there are moments where I'm just like, oh, I could play squat, and then I gotta deal with a fucking roll thing. I'm just. I not burned gonna out on this game pretty quick. I'll be honest. Um, I played some. I played a fair amount of online, um, and I enjoy it. Like I enjoy it. It's good. The presentation's great. Like it's really cool to see all this stuff that I loved from these old primitive PC games portrayed with modern tech, modern sound. Like you mm-hmm. said, uh, the graphics, the fact that it's, it's, it's as busy as a Star Wars battle should be, whereas yeah. opposed to like five TIE fighters versus you before where, you know, the TIE fighters come in and there's like 10 of them. And it's like, that's, and there's like whole, there's a whole soup going on. Yeah, like, that's yeah. great. Like all that's, all that stuff's great. Attacking, you know, the big ships is great because you see all the different guns and they're all coming at you and you can target the separate systems. And uh-huh. like, there's a lot of really cool ideas in here. I just, I, I disagree with with the the control choices, and obviously I would have wouldn't have a problem with control choices if my adaptation for the control changes I made worked, but they don't because someone didn't test something properly. Also, I like that they kept all the power like assignment stuff. Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up actually, but. Well, you should explain what it is first, Matt. Like the power assignment thing, you, it, it, in the old games, it was a little simpler, actually. So I, I you know, credit to them for making a little more complexity happen on this and make the power management more of a constant thing you have to do, which I actually like. So in in um, in these games, this game and the old games, you have three. You have a certain level of power you can you can associate you can assign to various categories. You have three categories: engines, lasers, and shields. If you're flying a Tie Fighter with no shields, all you have are engines and lasers. Wait, throttle? Right. I thought you could. Tweak throttle as well. Throttle is engines. Oh, okay. Engines affects throttle, obviously, because that gives you more power to the mm-hmm. engines. So you can you can swap back and forth between it. This is a little actually a little simplified because in the old games there were three levels of power or zero power. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like you basically just pick which system you want to, to max out, or you can balance all three. Yeah, you just tap um, uh, the D-pad in yeah. a direction, and you and can the, funnel all your power to lasers. So if you're in a battle, your lasers yeah. suddenly get a lot more power. If you're facing ships that are more powerful, they, you can initiate a shield that will protect you more. So you can basically shift 
the capabilities of your craft based upon whatever's happening mm. in the game. More importantly, they the, like they don't let it run down. Like if yep. you you know they they, they 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 up the recharge rate, and then there's a bonus to you know, this. The new thing yeah, on this is there, there, there's well. a bonus to kind of like what you get from the recharge. So in the old games, you had to oh, kind of use full full charge to get like the overcharge on the lasers or the overcharge in the shields, and they would burn out. They would basically wear off if you took that power away from that system. And this the the bonus pretty much lasts a lot longer. So it is a actual viable strategy now to. As you're heading into a fight, you you charge shields and you get that overcharge on your shield, and then you switch to your lasers. So you get your overcharge on your lasers, and that overcharge on your shield will stick around yep. for a while. So yeah. like you can kind of prepare of for a fight, which it. is nice. As the more I played, um, the more I started to play around with that stuff. Yeah, the the, the one the thing I don't like about what they changed there is the engines. So if you charge the engines, it will start charging a bar that is basically a boost bar. Mm -hmm. And when you hit the boost, it just, you know, obviously gives you a huge boost in speed. It lasts a long you, time, too. But uh, it lasts a while if you let it charge up all the way. But the but the thing is, the move, you, you they added a thing where you can boost drift, um, where when you're moving quickly from a boost, you you hold the, 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 yeah, you I think the right stick. Game, and you can so kind of you can kind of do this, like, weird drift turn. Yeah. And that is basically how you have to fight in multiplayer. Or you are never going to get your fucking target on somebody. Yeah, I was going to bring uh, up and, like, um, the and I feel like that breaks the flight aspect of things to the point that I don't feel like I'm playing a dogfighting game anymore. I feel like I'm playing some weird video game. Well, I feel like it doesn't break the mold of dogfighting video games. A lot of the same problems I had with like the multiplayer modes in Star Fox sixty four, I still have here, and it's that it, the game just turns into this. It's just everyone chasing each other's tails. Um, and you're right, there is like that crazy drift turn. I never got really good at it to where I felt confident mm. using it, but it is in there. I just wish there were easier ways to just do a U-turn or just do a complete loop mm. so someone flies under you. Like, though, even the things that were in like Star Fox 64, I wish there were ways to do that because a lot of this game, even when you're playing the campaign, it's just, you're just chasing, just going in circles, chasing after ships in this black expanse. Um, and it started to wear it started to wear thin for me after a while because one thing I was getting at earlier when I started talking about Rogue Squadron is that this game doesn't have any ground-based missions. And Rogue Squadron was mostly ground-based, and they give you a couple like free flight missions in space just to say they were there. But regardless of which one you like more, it breaks up the monotony. Having a couple ground missions where you're like flying into a base and taking out all the tur stuff like that, it breaks up all the space stuff. And in this game, that's all there is, is just shooting in space. And again, just kind of endemic to the genre. Um, it just feels really slow a lot of the time because you're just in this blackness. And if you don't have any objects to use for a reference, you have no idea how fast you're going. So in like a lot of space shooting games, it seems like you're moving a mile an hour and then you get to a ship and you come up on it and like you realize how fast you're going. Um, and again, I, it's hard to ding the game for this stuff because if you're going to make a, a full 3D shooter, space shooter in space, this is kind of the stuff that's going to happen. But it's just they're just things that kind of turn me off. I also had problems continuing to play this game, Matt. I really lost interest after like two or three hours I just felt like I wasn't experiencing anything that I hadn't experienced before in a game. Um, and then, you know, having played all the Rogue Squadron games, um, I enjoy those more. I like them more than this game because they do break things up. There is a little more variety. 
Um, I do like. They're also completely different games. They are. Like, that's, that's but the I think thing. most like, people like, are going to compare the, them. I think that most people are wrong then. Well, because I, you're they probably are, right. Most people are wrong all the time. <laughs> and like, but I mean, like, look, there's a whole generation that's more familiar with Rogue Squadron as how X-Wings fly than this. Yep. And so that comparison is inevitably going to be drawn, but it's like, it's like being upset. That, it's like comparing Dark Souls to Zelda to me. It felt very similar um, they're, they're to very, me. Again, because Rogue Squadron not. does have space missions. I mean, it would they do, have... but like, but they are not flight sims. They do not. You can't. You can't loop in. In there's no dogfighting in Rogue Rogue Squadron. You know, like it's all on a plane. It's I, all. I, all I know is I've played a lot of Rogue Squadron, and I played probably four hours of this game, and the vast majority of it felt exactly like playing Rogue Squadron to me, except well, not as fun I, or as interesting. Well, see, I don't agree with that in any way. Like Rogue Squadron to me is like. For years, Rogue. I mean, I like, I love the Rogue Squadrons. You know that I had to review them for a couple, a couple of them for for the show. Yep. But like to me, the Rogue Squadrons were like good enough. Like if they're not going to make any more X Wing and Tie Fighter games, like that sucks. But Rogue Squadrons like close enough. Like yeah, someone like, who's I'm a, huge a fan ship. of those more semi sims, yeah. for lack of a better phrase. And you're right. Like the, you know, like this, you know, flying around through space. There's only so much you can do. Like I don't want. I do not want ground missions. I would never have. It would never occur to me to want them in this game. That is not what it's about. Although I bet you, if this game does well and they get to make a full fledged game, like a sequel or a, you know, a game that is not just like you said, a a, 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 a what was going to be an expansion to Battlefront Two that was then cut out and made its own standalone thing. If they got to make a full fledged sixty dollar game out of this. Like, I bet they would add It would be stuff. probably more like um, Rogue Squadron. If only to make the bombers feel like they have more of they a purpose. They have a purpose, yeah. Um, like well, I know bombers can, in I, space, it's like, there's no gravity. <laughs> I mean, they're, Do I the mean, bombs they're have, like, some, like, heavy. magnet on them that make them, like, go to the ship or something? I mean, they basically have heavy, they're heavy weapons. They're like, they're like a, they're like a, a big punch to the sh- capital ships, right? Yeah. Um, but like you can do, uh, you can do bombing. You know, and they do, do. There's a there's a mission about halfway through the game where you have to do kind of like a trench run sort of thing in a with a in a space station facility. But like you could totally do that on the ground. Like you know, like and and ground based stuff has been more of a thing in the new the Disney era Star Wars. That's true. Um, I didn't even think about that. You know, that there's there's ground battles in Force Awakens yeah. and and with the X wings and everything. Um, I mean, or you know. On, in a, in the atmosphere, you yeah. know, like we and we'd never seen that before. That had never been done before, largely because of technological limitations when the other movies were made. And but it was always some, you know, the 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 shot of the X wings flying over the the water in Force Awakens, like that's from an old old um, um, concept art painting. Oh, really? That, like, and they finally like, brought it want, to life for that film. Well, like they've wanted to do that forever, but that's the awesome. tech just wasn't there to do it. You know, uh-huh. now you got digital stuff, and you can be like, oh, we can finally do can an X wing Tie want. Fighter fight in the atmosphere and it looks great. Yep. Um, so I think that would be on, certainly up there on their list of things to do if they did another one of these. Um, Should they do I'd, another one? I would like to see them take another shot at it. Yeah, I would like, uh, me too. Um, I would like to see a more robust, like all in, yeah. let's give them three years to make a game and see what they can do. Because I think yeah. even just some here's of the stuff th- that's leaked out of that studio, they can do storytelling. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing though. Like I, and the story, like the story's fine. Um, but part of the part of my problem with it um, is it's in the same mold of everything that is done with Star Wars uh, in in the, the the Disney era, which is everything's got to be a fucking big deal. Yeah. Like everything's got to oh, oh there's a there's a secret project <laughs> and they, we're building this super right. super weapon ship and they want to stop it and we got to stop them from stopping us. We got to get this secret thing over that. The old games were just you were a pilot. Yeah. 
in the rebellion. You were <laughs> a pilot to stay in, alive. In, in the empire, and you got to get yeah. through your career. And like, yeah, you end up in the middle of some of the big battles in the movies, and you get, you know, in the tie in tie fighter, you got drafted into the em- emperor's like secret ranks because you're so good at it, and you can just. But like, I would love if they did a full fledged one. I'd love for A to be able to pick Rebel or Empire. Uh-huh. Like, don't make me mix the two. Like, I feel like that's a little jumbly. And, yeah, it's a little weird. And I also have some friends who like they don't want to play the other side. Hmm. Like, they're like, like I want to play Empire and I don't want to deal with the Rebel stuff, or I only want to play Rebels because I don't want to be space Nazis kind of right. thing. So separate them out would be would be cool. Um, and. Like just let you let you play like more of a slice. Of, I mean, I don't know slice of life, but like I think you can take these interesting characters and all these these this like storytelling and just make it a little more average person. You know, like you know what I mean. Like, like tell the story of a career and like maybe that career can become something you know important and it can yeah. build to something. Sure. But I love. You know, obviously, they didn't have the time to do something that expansive on this. But I'd love to see it start really mundane. Let let you, let you see kind of like. You know what it's like to be in this organization, and then we kind of rise up, yeah, and rise up, and eventually, like, oh, like this, you're pretty good. Like, we should bring you into some of these other missions, and now, and now you're part of like the, you know, Princess Leia's secret squadron or something like that. You're doing some crazy shit. Like that would be the way I'd go with it. Um, Because right now I feel like this, like, like when you say like, you know, that the gameplay feels too much like the same. To me, the storytelling feels too much the same. Okay. Not in the sense of of like the writing's bad, but in the sense that tonally and structurally, it's just the same story we've seen come out of Disney era Star Wars, except for Last Jedi, because Ryan Johnson is a genius. is the same kind of thing we've seen over and over again, where it's like everything has to have a super weapon, everything has to be for the fate of the universe, everything right. has to be the most important thing that's ever happened. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's like you can just yeah. tell us. Sto- it's one of the reasons Mandalorian is okay. so good, yeah. Yeah, because right, it's just, it's just about these characters. It's you know, and maybe there's like huge implications underneath, but it's really about these Matt, characters. You, you know why they do that though? Because if you do that, then it's about the writing. Uh, right. It, it, yeah, I know. It's way harder. It's very easy to just build something and blow it up. It's very hard to craft a compelling story. Oh, I know. J.J. And... Abrams literally blew up the whole <laughs> franchise with episode nine. Like, I mean, we know what that's all about. <laughs> I'm just funny. saying, like, there's room to play in Star Wars if yeah. you let it have the breadth. I agree and, 1,000%. Yep. And obviously, this is not the game to, to, for that. But I, it's just a thing where, like, I feel like the same. You know what I was talking about, about have st- having stuff cut out of the, the conversations or the between mission stuff? Mm-hmm. I feel that happening in Fallen Order, too. Mm. Like I feel like there was originally a lot more robust conversations with your other characters and crew members. Yeah, you talked about that when it came out. They had to pull that out a little bit, and I—it's just weird to me how EA constantly kills the atmosphere first. I think it's just them chopping to get the game out. In I think it is too. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. It's EA, Matt. Like I don't think there's a whole lot of artistry going on with that stuff. It's like, look, you do some chopping, (laughs) right? But I think the people who are making these games are trying to do that. I think the artistry is there with the people developing these things. Like, and but I bet there's a lot of people in, in Motive positions. who are, I bet there's a lot of people in Motive who are very disappointed they didn't get to make the game that was in their heads. I mean, I know sure, every game yeah. developer feels that way about every game they make, probably. Yeah. But um, as you know, we may I may never get a game like this again. It's like, true. They may never try to do it again. Yeah. Um, Which but it, it bums me out that it it isn't better than it is. But yeah. at the same time, it's forty dollars. I mean, that's something we haven't brought up yet. It is a yeah. budgeted discount game. I'm 100% okay spending 40 bucks on this game, even though I don't yeah. love it. Uh, Matt mentioned that the multiplayer modes are really kind of the meat of this game, and he's right. Uh, but it it needs more multiplayer modes. Right it now, does. Well, because it's only got two yeah. things. Are it's they, got dogfight. Are they going to ever get more? 
It doesn't sound it like doesn't. it. It's got, it's got dogfight and it's got fleet battles. Five on five um, dogfighting. And then the fleet battles are kind of cool, though. They're like kind of like multi-stage yeah. like events more than just like yeah. skirmishes. And they're kind of a tug of war thing. Like yeah. you have to you have to. And that's the only one that's ranked, too. The dogfighting is even ranked. So. Yeah, which is weird. Um, and then you got to earn. You earn. Um, you earn basically in-game currency uh, to buy new upgrades for your ships and cosmetic things for your ships and cosmetic things for your pilot. Um, Legit upgrades, only... though, we should say. Like, some of the ship upgrades are real. They aren't Oh, yeah, you can, you, can me- you can mess with stuff a lot. And, like, usually they're not, like, just straight upgrades. Usually they are, oh, this gives you this much more hull resistance, yep. but you drop uh, speed somehow yeah, yeah. or whatever. Usually but you can, you can come up with some really interesting builds with it. Like, people have... You know, like, like I didn't like the my favorite ship in all of Star Wars is the Tie Interceptor, and I didn't like how the Interceptor played when I first tried it out. But then, like, once I put a couple of upgrades and tweaked tweaked it to the way I like to play them, like it became much more like what was in my head of how a Tie Interceptor should fly. No, you can definitely um, feel the difference for sure. Yeah, and and I like what they did with the Interceptor and the A Wing are, are my two favorite ships in in the series really and like they both they're both interceptors they're both very fast but they did a good thing in this game that I, that they didn't do in the old games where the interceptor and the a-wing hit real hard like they can chew through an average ship like twice as fast as an x-wing and really all that means is they are they're massive glass cannons and they leaned into that really hard on this game and i really like that like a lot of their decisions in this game for all my criticism were really good for for something that hasn't really been depicted since 1998 like they updated a lot of this per- stuff pretty much perfectly it's just it needs to have more and and i was also kind of hoping that they might add some dlc that put the b-wing and the tie defender in there um but it sounds like they're not going to get any dlc unless this thing is a runaway hit and i really don't know if it is judging by its numbers on twitch yeah it doesn't seem like it um uk sales over the weekend were not extraordinary yeah. um I mean, but to be look, fair, there's, is, there a, is there a physical version? Is there a physical I, copy? Actually, I don't know if there is. That's a good point. I don't think there is. Yeah, I didn't I've, see it in the UK charts so. at all. That would explain it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is $40. Um, it is cheap. Again, I if you're a Star Wars fan, 100% go buy it. Um, and I am, and that's why I'm mm-hmm. recommending that at 40 bucks you should pick it up, even though I'm not completely loving it. Uh, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I think if you're a fan of Flight Sims, you should just buy it. Because you're not getting although, any of these. Yeah, although be aware of the, the roll issue. Yeah. Um, which again works if you can deal with roll and pitch on a separate stick, but I still I, think I, that's that is one ridiculous. Thing fix. I think if they have they to better. issue a patch just to fix that, they will do that. Um, new content, who knows? But something like that, I feel like they have to. Yeah, I, I doubt. I mean, it has reviewed well, so maybe yeah. EA will lean into it that way. But like, I think you probably are right when you say that they're just trying to squeeze some some residual revenue out of motive after all this time. Yeah. The other thing that we should have mentioned too, is that if you are into VR and I haven't tried it and Matt hasn't tried Mm -hmm. it, but all reports have been that the VR in this is amazing. It it is a great VR game. So if you're looking for your next VR fix, this is a great option. Yeah, I mean, it does come out of the VR mission they made for rogue to promote rogue one, uh, on the old battlefront, which was great. Um, and like you know, if you get like a full like I have a I have a couple friends who did you know did the VR thing with a full stick and throttle setup and like all that and like and, and the like video and one guy's wife took video of him playing it for the first time and you could see tears come out from under the <laughs> VR helmet like this is affecting people like people are like I got to fly an X wing and I get it like I, yeah, I you know it, it's absolutely. right it is right there especially if you turn off. 
there's an instrument mode basically where you turn off all the HUD assistance yeah. and basically you only can run off the in, the instruments in the sh in the ship. Yeah, and you actually touch like the, old games. like the buttons and stuff. Yeah, with with a with the 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 way like you know it kind of like in a hangar where you look at the buttons and that was in the the Rogue One mission too where you can you could hit the button to like open and close the cockpit or open and close the wings on the X-wing or you could like you like use the controller to touch the button on the side of the cockpit and they all worked and it was that was really yeah. cool too. So now, now you got Tie Fighters and all the other ships to to look at too. Like and they know that because in the hangar <laughs> stuff you can inspect the ships yeah. and just sit in the cockpit and look around. Oh, yeah. And in VR, obviously that's going to be a lot more impactful. Yeah, so, so this game I will in play general in, is more impactful if you're a big VR player. Um, yeah, I will definitely, no if, especially if they fix if they fix the role problem. I will buy it again on PlayStation Four and play it in VR. I will definitely do that. But they need to fix that role problem. Yep. Like that is the big really basic stuff it's I like think, if, i think they it, will. i hope so because right, right now it's like if you if you were holding b in a mario game and hit jump he only jumped half as high <laughs> that's a like big that's problem. how bad that is to uh -huh. someone who's trying to play this as a like that is awful like unbelievable yep and there's ways to fix it on pc but there's no way to fix it on a console uh, without a patch yep so there you go that's star wars squadrons again just 40 bucks so it is a cheaper game um matt you actually didn't say if you recommend buying it or not um, it all depends on whether you want to put roll and pitch on the same stick and whether they fix that. Um, but beyond that, if you can deal with a separate go for, you know, and you like Star, Star yeah, Wars and especially Starfighting, Starfighter stuff. Um, I mean, it's functional. I just don't prefer it. Um, you know, be ready for that. But otherwise, I mean, you're never going to get another game that looks this good and does what it does. So yep. otherwise, other than going back and playing X-Wing TIE Fighter again. So do it. Support it. Also, that's it. Support it. Support it. Like yeah. support this you kind of game. You want more of it? You got to pay for it when it. Comes Even out. if it comes down to like you know supporting it to show that whoever gets the license next right. should make another one. Yeah. You know that's a good like, point. Yep. So we're actually shifting from one EA game to another, one new EA game to an old EA game that is being revived, and that is Need for Speed Hot Pursuit from 2010 is being remade. It's coming to. PC, PS4, Xbox One on November 6th. And then it comes on November 13th to Switch a week later. It's including... A remaster all... of a remake. That's impressive. Yeah. It, I don't know if this... Yeah, I guess it, you're right. It's a remaster of a remake. The 2010 game was basically a remake of Hot Pursuit, or at least a yeah. reboot. And now yeah, they're remastering reboot, that remake slash reboot. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why? Why is this happening, Matt? Why are all these old Need for Speed games coming back? Is it they can't make a good new one? Is that why this is happening? I mean, I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, um, it's also I think you know they're trying to put something out in that genre, and they don't have anything right now. Criterion um, is working on a new game right now. Yeah, the thing I don't get is like, oh, I mean, look, this is a good game. You know, it's a, it's Criterion's first. Uh, it's Criterion's first hot, first Need for Speed game. It turned out pretty well. Um, it also introduced Autolog, which ended up becoming this huge thing that ended up being duplicated and copied with varying degrees of success across the industry for like the next four years. Yeah, and uh, and oh, we should tell, explain. Autolog is basically just this always live social network mm -hmm. inside the game. Uh, where you can challenge people to races and things like that just on the fly. Back yeah, in 2010, that was a revelation. Yeah, it was like basically like constant meta mingle player. Um, it was a huge deal. It was when a cool it came idea. out, like yeah. everybody knew what Autolog was, and you even started seeing it then in like shooters and like all this other stuff. Yeah, EA put EA put some version of it in almost everything they made for the next few years. Yeah. Um, 
It was a big. And it's still here. I, actually, they yeah, still there. and I did to. I had to do. A, you know, I had to go to England and do. This is one of the games I had to do a, a, a you know preview interview thing with. And oh my god, all they talked about was autolog. It was just autolog, autolog, autolog. New feature, the groundbreaking. But it was like feature. it was like those things that always happened back then. Where it's like, oh, there's a new feature, new feature, new feature, new feature. Like, cool. Can we get footage of it? Mm, we don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not like, ready well, yet. It's not going to be in a fucking <laughs> segment, is it? Um, so like, yeah, you know, or we're just going to show random racing. You know, we talk about this thing we can't illustrate. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I really like this game. I will say um, is not the game I would choose to remaster in part because I think if you, you can play it on modern or you know, last-gen consoles or like backwards compatible pretty well even now. Well, that's now. the thing. That's the whole thing about this. So people are like, Like, okay, why aren't they remastering the old Underground games? Like, yeah, that would be know. my target. Because then you see a huge jump. Right. It's like you can already – look, this, you can already play this on the Xbox One X. Yeah, and or PC. Get, right, and it already looks amazing. And yeah, in fact, they haven't fine. done that much work to this at all. Like, they've hardly touched up the visuals at all. But it was already a really good-looking game back in 2010. So I just don't – I don't one, I don't know where the audience is for this. It's not old enough. I mean, most people who are gamers now were gamers back in 2010. It's only 10 years ago. So I don't yeah, know I mean, what – Yeah, I mean, 10 years isn't that bad for a game that was, like, maybe going to be trapped on a previous system. Right. But this isn't. This yeah. has been brought forward pretty easily. I still think, like, if you want to remaster stuff that people would be interested in, go back to stuff like Underground. Agreed. Um, that, dude, go if back you remade, to – If you re remade Underground, it would be the best-selling Need for Speed since Underground. I guarantee or, or, it. Or, go, or at least go back to, like, actual Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit, like, right, which right, is a where game. you see a big upgrade from the remaster yeah. or the remake. Like, here, it's like, okay, now it's running in 4k is that is that really yeah. have or, any weight? or here's something burnout three you yeah. cowards like why have you not put burnout three the best burnout on your remaster list like that's real fucking and i can't play that on anything today so what, what is, is that? going on with ea though why is it stretching up all these old games that weren't all that i mean it's not that the game isn't great but they just didn't sell all that well the first time i mean is that why they're trying to recoup money from a decade ago i don't, I don't think, think so, so but it feel, like, it, to me it feels like they just want content in the pipeline you know i mean some of like, it i get because a lot of these games are coming to switch and yeah. ea has not really supported switch at all and i'm sure it's looking at those unit sales every month and they're like how can we get in on that action and maybe this is really just a switch play and they're like well if we're going to do a switch version we might as well release it for the other things because that's easy um yeah, and it's maybe free money a little sell, extra, an extra a little skew bit out there like that's fine but like I don't know. Like it's, it feels like you could go for the burn. I mean, I guess Need for Speed has more name recognition at this point, but like Burnout's better. Burnout, burn the Burnout games are better games. Um, and then like, where do you go from this? It's like you can do a remaster of Most Wanted. Like, like that's that's another game is already still playable on modern systems. Like that's what I don't get. Is like you're not bringing me anything I can't play already. It's like at least the Crash Bandicoot games were like, you know, and Spyro were like, okay, I, not only are these remakes. And they look way better than the, you know from the ground up, but they actually are games that I can't play on anything I own except right. maybe like the old PS3 or something. Um, I just don't. Yeah, I and like it would be. A, I, I would perk up more if it was a, one of the old Need for Speeds like that I can't play on a modern system anymore. The Undergrounds or even Pro Street or um, you know you know like that kind of PS2 Xbox era. Yeah. Where you actually will see the upgrades if they remake the games instead of this stuff. Yeah. I really do think it's just a Switch play. EA has treated Nintendo like crap for so long. It's always this story. Like, EA never wants to support Nintendo. Then Nintendo has a hit, like the Wii or the Switch. And then EA's like, oh my gosh, now we need to work with Nintendo. And they never, they never really go 
full throat into it. It's always no, these half-assed, like, boom blocks, like, let's put 10 games on a – 10 people on a project and see what they come up with. They I never dedicate resources legit, to Nintendo platforms, ever. I think Boomblox was pretty legit, though. Oh, it was like, great. Was, I loved for the, the game. For the Wii, that was kind of the perfect game for the for the system. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, but at the same time, again, they, it was like a 10-person team that worked on that game, and the budget was probably like $10 million or whatever. Like, they've never... Yeah, I mean, they had, they had Spielberg. It was something. Yeah, they've never put their financial weight behind games for Nintendo platforms. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that, was, that was definitely funny when, like, they were like, oh, Steven Spielberg's working on a Wii game. Yeah. For, and it's like everyone's like, oh, what's that going to be? It was, it was boom blocks. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was basically Jenga for the Wii. Yeah. yeah Jenga I, with firecrackers. Pretty is, much. You know, firecrackers and some of the cracks. Yeah. I loved it. It was, it was a great game. It was great. But, but le- legitimately, like a 10 person team, $10 million to make that game. EA has never invested in Nintendo platforms. It's always been an afterthought, or EA has tried to, fi- tried to find a way to support those platforms as cheaply as possible, and this just reeks of it to yeah. me. Well, I don't know. To, I, I, won't, I won't fault them on the Wii for that, because everybody did that. The yeah. Wii was a shovelware machine but to a lot for third parties. But you go back to the parties. N64. I mean, you can just go to every platform Nintendo's had since, like, the SNES, and it's been that way. Yeah, well, everything pa- everything post Super Nintendo, like kind of the way Nintendo went went with their hardware, was sort of the opposite direction of how EA wanted to go with their games. Yeah, um, you know, well, EA PlayStation to, was the leader, and EA is going right. to always well, follow also, the leader. Well, also because EA just wanted to lean in the in the the CD stuff. You know, like, I mean, everybody did except Nintendo. Storage. And then and then with uh, you know, and Nintendo always has that kind of like weird thing where it's Caveat. like, well, we're gonna we're gonna do it, <laughs> but we're gonna add this weird little thing that makes it harder to do for no good reason, like, like the GameCube. It's DVDs, like, oh, but we discs, but they're <laughs> half the size of everything else for no fucking reason and now whatsoever. Using, like except, SD cards for games, right? With some kind of and we're and putting on an underpowered system, which yeah. it sounds like maybe that will be solved a little bit next year when the new system comes out because yep. like they're doing like you know, there's all these rules about oh the frame rate needs to be unlocked because one day we might want to make them run at a higher frame rate. It's right. like oh, that's yep. interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, EA has always been a little trepidatious about dealing with Nintendo. Um, I don't know where that really comes from. Even going back to the fact that Madden really came to power on the Genesis first. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what that's, what that's about, but this probably is one of those things where like, oh, we'll just throw this stuff out there. And again, it's just content in the pipeline, even if, and also even looking at their releases for every system, EA didn't put much out anymore. I know. It's like they put out their sports games and that's it. It's really crazy. And Star Wars, that's all they've yeah. all it's got right now. It's really crazy. Uh, we should mention, though, that they have added, like, six hours of content to the game for this re-release. So there is some value. Uh, there's six hours of new content. It has cross-play multiplayer. Uh, so you can play against other people on other platforms, including Switch, once it finally comes out. Um, and they've also added car wraps. Uh, they asked them about next gen. They said it will play on PS5 and Xbox Series X, meaning that... Yeah. It's set up so the backwards compatibility will work on both of those machines. So and that seems to be a rule now. It does, and anyway. it's good. I'm glad that it's there. It needs to be there. Uh, so there you go. Need for Speed Hot Pursuit remake coming November 6th to PC, PS4, and Xbox One, and a week later on November 13th to Switch. <laughs> so, so if you like to stop playing Watch Dogs Legion for a while <laughs> and do that instead for some reason, well, if you're a Switch owner, true. What else are you playing? <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, you're, you're waiting for that Pokemon DLC. Well, I'm actually uh, that segues nicely into our next topic, which is something that people will be playing on Switch right around that time, but well, a little bit earlier. 
Um, and that is that Steve and Alex from Minecraft are coming to Super Smash Brothers. Uh, I wouldn't say that I would have never thought that they would make it because Microsoft does own Minecraft. But I think if you'd asked me if they would ever show up, I'd be like, I don't know how they would do it right and have it make sense. And now that I've seen how they're doing it, I was right. Like, I, it wasn't easy. I can't believe that they've done this for Smash Brothers. Matt, have you checked out what these characters can do inside the game? Yeah, I mean, I watched the the videos of it. Um, I don't really understand it. It's crazy. Um, it definitely looks like the, one of the most complicated things they've ever put in that game. Well, I so I got a press release from Nintendo, and I think Nintendo knew that people were going to be confused because in the press release, they literally spelled it out line by line exactly how it all works. They actually are collecting resources during the fight. You mm-hmm. and the every stage that you're on, that will alter what resources that you can collect. Uh, the resources that they have in the game as of right now are... I have a list here somewhere. If I can find it. Oh, it's dirt, wood, stone, iron, gold, and diamond. That All those different resources you can collect, actually mine, while you're playing the game. And then you use those resources to go to a bench to build stuff while the game is going on. Matt, I... I don't know how this is going to work. Like the, it appears that the crafting is really fast, so you're not going to have to spend like yeah. you're not going to have to like walk over to a bench, hit a button, wait for it to load or anything like that. But also, the stuff that you can build is crazy. Like you can build blocks and then put them where you want them and create like constructions to like defensive walls that you can build in front of yourself. I don't know how all this stuff is going to play out in real time in a fighting game as fast and flashy as Smash Bros. I, the work that had to be done for this, to me... I don't know. I, the, I think the Fortnite generation can do it. No, I'm not... I mean, the kids will totally be able to do it. Yeah. I, will I be able to? I don't know. I'm talking about developing this and implementing it into Smash mm. Brothers with all the other stuff that happens in Smash Brothers. Um, well, Sakurai pretty much said, it's like, all right, you want to put Minecraft in this thing? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it up, basically. You know? It's insane. And that's what he did. Yeah, I mean, there's full-on gathering resources, crafting, and then using the things actually, that you crafted in the fights. Actually, you know what it reminds me of is uh, Phoenix Wright in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Um, I who played? Remember. He was added as DLC, is what, what the expansion thing they did. And to get his best moves and to kind of expand his ability to do combo stuff and do the damage you need to do and get his best ultimate... You have to like, like basically do moves that summon random items, and then you have to tell whether the items they drop are are like a red herring or an important clue, and you have to pick up the clue like and not get hit while you're doing it. And then once you gather all the clues correctly, you can accuse the opponent of, of doing whatever they did, <laughs> awesome. and then that's how you get your like top ultimate move out of it. Like and like so, watching that's someone great. play that in a tournament was like you had to do the combo, pull the clue down, get them on the ground again, so you could pick up the clue, and then like and like organize, and then you had to like organize them, I think, in, in a certain in order or something like it was you're like right it was though, a whole meta game on that yeah. I, I, and so i wouldn't be surprised if they looked at that as sort of a template for like how do we make this weird meta thing happen um i mean it's really neat i don't know if that's going to be a, a a stock character in tournaments going forward <laughs> but i bet people will try like it's you know they've done it's, an amazing a, job like the animations are just like yeah. just arm chop like they have not sacrificed anything from minecraft uh to get them into smash uh, there, we should also mention this is the the second character singular. 
uh, of the second fighter pass. Now, you're getting both Steve and Alex, but they're technically just one character. And you also get uh, two skins for them. Uh, you get one for the zombie and one for Enderman. And you can just put mm -hmm. them in those skins and fight with those characters if you want as well. Um, I was shocked to when I first started watching like the the presentation for this, and they were showing this stuff happening. Like I just figured that it was just quarter circle towards an A, and they just did it. But no, it's this crazy process that you have to go through in the middle of a fight. Uh, the other and the other thing too is you have to do it because the weapons break just like in Minecraft. So if you keep using their sword or their pick, they break, and if you don't craft another one in the game, you have no weapon. So it's going to force you to use all the crafting stuff from Minecraft inside Smash, which I think is smart because I think a lot of people might just avoid it if that weren't the case. Um, but yeah, crafting table appears on the stage. You go up to it, you craft, and then you decide how you want to implement what you crafted. Uh, there's a new stage, a new Minecraft stage that's also been it's also going to be added. Uh, and inside that stage, there are seven, uh, or I'm sorry, six new areas inside the stage. Uh, there's seven new songs that are going to be added to the soundtrack for Minecraft. Uh, I don't know that I remember a single Minecraft song, but I'm sure kids do. Uh, but I don't remember any. Um, and then also the new stage, which is called Minecraft World. You can choose day or night. And if you fight at night, the zombies come out and come onto the stage, just like in Minecraft. As you know, at nighttime, the zombies show up. And you have to sort of protect your abode from them. So... This is like a flawless execution, Matt, of bringing <laughs> Minecraft into Smash Bros. I can see now why it's taken a while. They said they've been working on this for like two years with Microsoft uh, mm -hmm. behind the scenes to secure the license and figure out how it was going to work and then to implement it. And it, you can see it. Like, I have not really cared much about the DLC fighters for Smash, but this one I do. Like, I, even though I may not go and play it and learn how to play it, I will absolutely go and watch Let's Plays and YouTubers uh, who are really good at Smash taking these characters over and working it. I want to see how it works, particularly within the context of a live match where somebody else is trying to pummel the snot out of you. So I think this is brilliant. Like, it really, really impressive. I haven't, I didn't even, wasn't even aware of Phoenix Wright um, as far as what he did inside the game. This is the first time I've heard of something like this inside a fighting game. So I'm I mean, very, this is not, this is way more complicated than what Phoenix Wright was doing. Sounds from what I can see, but um, also like there's people that know Smash Brothers so well that this will probably be a breath of fresh air to them oh, yeah, to have like all this sure. extra like complications to have to deal with during a match. Like yep. this, be interesting to see like a match of like four Steves. Yeah, and everybody's running around <laughs> trying to gather stuff and, stuff and build like, stuff. I and, yeah. if, like they've accounted for that. What happens if four if there's four Steves, they're all building stuff. Like is the game gonna just melt and like crash? Like I hope they've tested all that stuff, because that's that could put a big strain on the uh the poor switch. Uh but I'm guessing they did. It is Nintendo and they're pretty on stuff like that. Um and then a couple other notes that we got uh are kind of around that announcement. Uh there are three new amiibo coming next year. Uh Banjo Kazooie, Byleth from Fire Emblem, and Terry Bogard. It's weird that they've taken so long to put out the amiibo for characters that have been in the game for 
I don't know what happened Wild. to the Amiibo thing. Like, you remember when like they used to put out like forty a year? Yeah, like five and, for each game. And now there's like three. I a know. Year. I mean, it's not like they stopped selling. People still love them. No. They put them up for sale and they sell out in like five. They minutes. vanished like crazy. I had to, I had to work fast to get my uh, my Richter and Simon ones. I will definitely be buying the uh, banjo one for sure. I get the banjo one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very picky. I'll, with I'll get the Terry Bogard one too. I didn't. I never thought there'd be a fucking Terry Bogard Amiibo. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I know he's been in the game forever, but like it's. Just yeah, so I mean I, I do that like they're the Smash not launching Brothers. until next year. All three of these amiibo yeah, are until 2021. I, I do like the Smash Brothers has kind of just become like a general celebration of games. It really has. Um, yeah. Everyone minus, like cool minus with it Sony now. stuff, obviously. Sony is but, the uh, only publisher left who can't get over itself enough and admit defeat that it can't make a game better to allow its characters to be. In yeah, it really should hit a point where it's just like, look, you, you really want to try Sony All-Stars again? again. Or you just I, they, wanna, like, I think they will. I think there'll be a sequel. Or you um, just want to fucking call it a day and put like just the... Just put some characters in Smash. Put Ratchet in there and call it a day. You know, yeah. like it's... Makes too much sense. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, also there's... Makes too much sense. That's why Sony, why Sony will never do it. Yep. There's also a bunch of new me skins coming for specifically for Minecraft and for No More Heroes and for Bomberman and a couple other IP. So I wonder if Travis will get in there. I don't know. I think he's already in there as like a trophy or assist yeah. or something maybe. But yep. like, be interesting to have him as an actual character. Yeah, but this is the most elaborate to me, the most elaborate Smash Brothers DLC character ever. Uh, the most work that's gone into it. I think the most adjustment from players in playing the character, although Joker was probably close in that regard from Persona. Uh, you watch him in Smash. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like he belongs in Smash. He looks like he's from like another game. And I feel like the, like, the Minecraft stuff is going to be the same way. It's going to be so Yeah, well, they're definitely like out to break the mold with a lot of these characters to yeah. try to also make a splash. And, and part of it might also just be like trying to keep the dev team interested. That's true. Like, it's been so many years they've well, been making this stuff. Keeping Sakurai like, interested. How many times yeah. has he said he doesn't want to do this anymore? <laughs> and, and he's not going to do it anymore. And then they just mm-hmm. float a big check in front of him, and they're like, bro, mm-hmm. 10 mil for three years. You cool with that? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I love Fine. And I don't blame him. Like, if Nintendo dangled 10 million in front of me, I would go back and work on something I was sick of working on like that. So I get it. Yeah, that's about what it would take to make me work on, like, Splatoon or... <laughs> I love Splatoon, actually. I, you know, someone was asked me on Ask Shane Anything uh, last week, like, what was the game that I play that, like, when I have downtime or whatever? It used to be Call of Duty. And then it was Tetris 99. It's actually turned into Splatoon 2 over the last couple weeks. Hmm. It's become the game that I've just kind of picked up to play while I wait for dinner to get finished or whatever. I mine love that definitely be, Mine has definitely become No Man's Sky again yeah. after after the, the recent Origins update. Understandable. Um that game just it just keeps getting better. It's like pretty it's crazy what they've done. Pretty with unrecognizable, it. and I've just you know found some new things. I've upgra- I got to upgrade my ship that I've had since like way in the early launch days, because um, my my ship was a little hampered because I was it was a it's a full forty eight slot inventory, but like it's before they started adding tech slots and and letter grades to the ship, so it was sort of like a C grade with no tech. But now I found there was like new ways to get like upgrade modules. So now it's got everything. It's an S class. It's like it's as good as a ship can be. And I'm like, that felt felt really good to do that after all this time. And like now it's kind of outfitted to do some of the new stuff. Like they those guys at Hello Games are they're nuts. They like are. I, I can't they believe they're still it, putting they this stuff up. out. They totally stuck with it. Yeah, you know, there's only 
We're going to be doing our end of generation awards here in the yeah. next couple weeks. Uh, we'll probably dedicate almost a whole episode of Game Face to Matt and I handing out awards for the last seven years is what it's been now. Um, and I hope there's only that- one thing left that I want them to add to that game. What? And that is the ability to paint the goddamn ship. <laughs> you brought that up so many <laughs> times. They still don't have it. <laughs> no, you can paint the freighters, but yeah, I'm still stuck with this ugly mint green. Spider. I even know the and color like- of your ship because you mentioned it before. Yeah. Maybe that'll be their last capper to finish it off. They'll be like, Look. I, they haven't touched the, the actual fight to the actual starships in a while. So I think the next like mini update might be some new starship stuff. What was the name of the dinosaur you discovered again? Uh, Swagosaurus, Swagosaurus Rex. Rex. For the yes. guy who discovered Swagosaurus Rex, we're going to add that last fix yeah. onto the game before we move on. I don't know if they consider that a good thing or not. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it didn't make the game look good, that's for sure. No, I mean, uh, I put it up just because I'm like, this is hilarious. And yeah. then, like, the hate, the haters grabbed it and ran with it. Yeah. But anyway, but, what I was uh, getting at with the, the uh, end of generation awards is we're probably going to have, like, some kind of, like, endurance award or something. <laughs> and uh, that will certainly be yeah. one of the games that would be uh, up as a nominee for that. Although category. there is definite competition for that. Like, there's yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of stick-to-itiveness in this generation. Yeah. And a lot of it is paid off in the end, too. Uh, Rainbow Six yeah. Siege would be another one. that Destiny. Uh, yeah, Destiny. Absolutely. There's a bunch. That'll be a fun category. Uh, it's time to move on, though. We're going to talk for the last time about Watch Dogs Legion before the game comes out. It is the biggest release of the month. If you watched Dossier this month, you know it was the thumbnail. Um, and undoubtedly, the most hyped game that is coming out here in, before October is all said and done. Uh, and this week, uh, Ubisoft did its final big blowout of the game. Um, it released a bunch of media officially. Um, it gave the press a three-hour time limit to play the game, mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of information has been coming out. Although I think what I would say mostly about this round of preview coverage is that not a lot of new stuff was coming out, and that's a little bo- a little worrisome, I think. Most of the previews that were published over the last few days have been, it's more like watchdogs than I thought it was going to be. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of the journalists in their reports said that they were very nervous about going to play this demo because they were told that they were going to be put into the middle of the game instead of starting from the beginning of the game so they wouldn't have tutorials. And so a lot of them were nervous that they would get in there and they'd just waste their three hours trying to relearn the game again. But no, Uh, pretty much to a man or woman, they all said that I jumped in, I was immediately able to just take off and play it because I had already played Watch Dogs before. So the game does not appear to be as gigantic a departure as maybe Ubisoft's marketing has suggested, but hey, what else is new? That's video game marketing for you. Well, I also think the departures are more in the details of what the characters can do. Yeah. um, And like the specializations more than anything else. Um, The one thing I am concerned about and... Some of the previews touched on this and sort of made me feel a little better about it. The one thing I'm concerned about is is you might run into a banjo tooie situation, where you are where you feel like okay, so basically if you combine all these different character types, they can do everything that like Marcus could do in Watch Dogs Two. Right. And instead of being able to do everything with one character, now I have to swap between characters to d- do basic stuff because this guy can't run a drone and this guy can't shoot a gun properly and this guy can't throw a punch. Like so that could there was be some annoying. of that though in the less plays. Um, there is some of that, yeah. I, I watched it, and they would get frustrated. Like, some people would want to use, like, a spider bot, and they're good at it. And that's, like, mm-hmm. one of their favorite gadgets. But they would have a recruit that didn't have that, and they would be forced 
to use some other gadget or right. strategy that they're not comfortable with. And maybe that's good in some ways, but I think... Some ways you want to force that, but also, I mean, some of it might just be that they were thrown in the middle of the game, and if you were in that part of the game in a naturally evolving save, you would have built your team into something you prefer. That's true. Um, well, they were able like, to build their but, team because it. Yeah. that's kind of really all they did in that three-hour demo was right. go out... Right, that's what I think the meat of that will be. But I think like that's sort of... I don't know. I'm interested to see how that all plays out. The one thing, what I will say is like watching a lot of the video clips people put up, the sort of uh, emergent stuff that happened was extremely entertaining to oh, me. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you saw uh, the clip that M. H. Williams put up on so. Twitter, where he finds he found this this cop or like a uh, whatever the, the the what's the what's the C, C what's the oh what's they're the called bad like guys? Antioch or. What's yeah, but talking, Albion, Albion, but yeah. like, but what's the you know the 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 name of the OS that is the bad guy in all the games? C C something C Tech C mm. C. You, you know I what I mean? Know. I know what you're talking it, about. Yeah, is it? But he was he's basically be beating up this woman, uh, trying to arrest her or whatever, and he walks up and uses his phone to to tag the 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 electrical his implant and electrocute him briefly to, to distract him. And as he, the guy, like, as the, the the Albion troop guy, like, twitches, the woman he was beating up, like, recovers and gets up. And then she pulls a stone-cold stunner on him and just <laughs> walks away. And I was like, oh, like, if I wasn't already going to play this game, now I am going That's to play this great. game. And <laughs> like, it was, it's amazing. Like, you can hear the the, the, the glass break stone-cold sound. As she, as she, it's amazing. And someone put that. that on there. That's great. Because I like discovering stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, he had another video where, like, another arrest was happening and, like, Without any prompting from him, all the citizens on the street while, where it was happening just decided to beat the shit out of the Albion guy and let the person <laughs> get away. And I'm just like, this is the stuff that I'm here for, for in, in this game. Like, that's what I, mean, I want to see. That's what I'm here for, for in open world games in general. Yeah, Like, that's the absolutely. type of stuff that I play these games for. Um, now, they Ubisoft, for its part, finally divulged the plot of this game. We knew it was taking place in London just from all the trailers and some of the stuff that it had said previously, but now it has finally revealed the plot. Uh, it is set in London. London gets bombed um, by a rival hacker group, and basically DeadSec, which is the hacker group that you've been a part of in prior games in the series, is framed for it. <laughs> is this starting to sound familiar to anyone? And then DeadSec has to reform and rebuild by recruiting people. This sounded familiar to anybody? Matt? What is that uh, plot? I don't know. What are you getting at? Avengers! It's the same exact oh. plot as Avengers. The good guys get framed by the bad guys. They're disbanded. They get back together, and you have to start recruiting all the people back to your organization so you can clear your name and end the threat. Same. It's the same as mm. And obviously, they aren't cheating off of each other they were developed separately at the same time um but yeah it's basically the same exact plot as marvel's avengers which is a little weird but more than a worthy setup, i mean it's I a pretty i also think it's, it's a pretty natural plot for dead sec like dead sec is sort of a shady organization being framed for something kind of happens in two as well um and in one, they actually are a terrible organization. Oh, yeah. So, like, there's this yeah. history there. Um, I would be surprised if the dead sec parallel in this game isn't more uh, Antifa. Uh, yeah, I would because because the guy, the director, has finally has said he's like, yeah, it's a very political game. Like, whatever Ubisoft Thank manager God, wants to say. They were finally honest about like, it. <laughs> there's no Good politics. It's, it's it's just a totalitarian state taking over and uh, taking over London. What, there's there's <laughs> no politics to that. 
Um, Orwell what? Uh, there was some more stuff that came out, though. Um, for one, there are districts in the game, and you have to take them over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, again, I Ubi- mean, we knew this was not going to be that much of you know, we're going to reinvent the open world formula on this thing. Yeah, like, it's a Ubisoft trope. It's in pretty much all its open world games, and it's in Watch at this Dogs point, region. especially after the breakpoint thing. Not that I was ever fooled by the breakpoint thing, but like if you really look at some of their pre early like marketing stuff for anything and think they're really reinventing the wheel on these games, that's on you. Yeah, like they are never <laughs> going to do that. Assassin's Creed Valhalla is going to play like Assassin's Creed Odyssey with like two different control tweaks. Like yeah. that's. All it is, if you're you know expecting anything the else, that's pretty much it. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you because, yeah. like, we they, they, the we know is. their mo. We do at this point. Everyone knows their mo. If you've been watching Game Face, you have no excuse for not expecting something exactly yeah. like this. Uh, and guess but, what? Beyond Good and Evil Two is going to be the exact same fucking thing, except you're going to be able to have a Z axis. Like that's it. Like you're it, right. you're, it's going to be Watchdogs Legion in space. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. Um. Now, like I said, there are districts, and you are charged with taking them over. Um, there is an uprise meter that is <laughs> assigned. No, that is assigned CTOS, to each district. That's what it is. CTOS. Yeah. And is. once the uprise meter hits the hilt, then you are presented with like a big mission, like a multi-part yes. like mission. Fill where you on, to... up she rises. Yes. Yeah. Well exactly. Done. Um, and then once you complete that mission, then you basically synchronize that area. And it even has like a cinematic where the fireworks go off showing the air. It's a very Assassin's Creed. You're basically mm-hmm. going in and taking over territory. Um, and taking Although it to be back. fair, my favorite Assassin's Creeds have been the ones that really emphasize working as a group. I agree. Um, yeah. In terms of, where you of recruit the, the territory assassins thing. and all that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like Syndicate and Brotherhood, I think, did that the best. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I'm on, I'm on board for that. Yep, I'm totally cool if, with if it. If it's fun to play. If it's like fun to play moment to moment. Um, the cover mechanics are like insane. There's like three different states when you're behind walls, um, which is important because... Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to use stealth in this game. You're Sometimes you're going to have recruits that don't have any other abilities, but they're really good at stealth, and you're going to have to use their stealth abilities. So the the cover system is important, and it looks really good, although I will say this, the run animation looks really bad. <laughs> I was watching it, and it's like it gave me – it's like Shades of Grand Theft Auto. It's like you have this amazing game with all this amazing stuff happening, and then the lead character is running like he's mm-hmm. got a corn cob jabbed up his ass. Like I think that I think that's variable. Uh, I'm sure the old people different... run differently. Yeah, I was oh, just... a lot of different characters have different run cycles, but like whoever that is, whoever that is, I don't remember. I don't know who that is you're talking about, but yeah. like, what well, was like an adult male? And I'm guessing that run animation is going to be used for probably all the adult males. Uh, I believe the animations are more related to class. No. Okay. Or more like sense. if you like a brawler runs a certain way and a tech sense. guy runs a certain way. Yep. Uh, but what really struck me the most just by watching all the Let's Plays and the trailers that Ubisoft released and the B-roll cut into impressions was the variety. Um, we were talking earlier about, you know, squadrons, how I felt the mission objectives started to wear on me after a little bit. Watching all the footage for this game, it's just one crazy thing after another. Like I saw on the Easy Allies preview that they did, that there was one section where uh, Bloodworth was just controlling one of the spiders, and the whole level is a 3D platformer. And you're just controlling the spider in this elaborate 3D environment, and you're trying to get up to the top of it. Um, There's obviously tons of vehicle stuff. There's the hacking stuff. There's tons of puzzle solving. uh, There's shooting. There's more gadgets in this game than probably any game ever made. It's 
what is really striking me about this is it's not going to be one of those open world games that really grinds me down quickly to where I'm like, I can't save another person. I can't invade another building and kill everyone inside it. It looks like there's going to be a lot more variety in this game, which has me really excited. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's always been attempts at that kind of variety in the Watch Dogs games, especially the second one. Yeah. I just have felt that, like, I've always felt like the Watch Dogs games are a great idea that has never gelled. I'd agree. Like, yeah. And they, you know, and I think they agree too because, like, clearly they put a totally separate team with a totally separate tone and so a totally separate approach on Watch Dogs 2 after the first one. And I don't hate the first one. Like, I think that I think Aiden Pierce is one of the worst protagonists ever put in a game. But like, I think I played it a couple times on on various platforms, and I think it's kind of fun. Like, it's not like I've never finished it because, like you say, it wears me out after a while doing the same things over and over again. But I'm really hoping this one, that Legion, is where they finally get these concepts to all kind of come together and gel. And I think that one of the problems they've had is like they've had, like you say, they want to do those drone things. They want to do those shooting things. They want to do the racing thing. Yeah. And it's hard because you ba- that means you're basically designing six different video games inside one really video good. game. Yeah, and they all have to be hard. good. Yeah. Really so like, hard. hopefully this, and they, they've taken their time on this one. They gave it to another team. That, you know, I think they, they, they maybe, delays, maybe they had, maybe they got time. it this time. You know, maybe they, they pieced it together and it's going to work this time. I hope so. Cause I really like the concept. I'll say this. I'm really excited for this game. I am legitimately jacked up to play Watch Dogs Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, they've sold me at this point enough to want to really give it a try. Yeah. Uh, and and then, I'm happy about this. Like I, I would love to see games take place in London more like too. open world games in London. I've, I've always been the thing. Why are they yeah. always here? Because GTA, because GTA, but some of my favorite like one-off uh, uh, open-world games have been games that take place in non cities outside of the United States. Like, yeah, like Getaway I guess, was in London. Getaway was in London. Uh, Sleeping Dogs yep. is a is a great game. Hong Kong, yep. um, that's a lot of fun. Like. Take it, take Mix it outside. It take, yeah, yeah, go, go somewhere else. America every like, freaking time. That's why I like Assassin's Creed too, is because they they take you different places every time. So like, yep. I think this is a cool thing. Yep. And then Ubisoft just basically dropped all the rest of the final details that anyone needed to worry about before the game came out. Um, I guess they're just going to spend the next couple weeks just plastering us with advertisements online and on TV. Uh, but the final details: yeah. a free online multiplayer update is coming. Um, but it's that here's the catch. It's not coming until December 3rd. So the game will have been out five mm-hmm. or six weeks, plenty of time to finish the campaign, obviously, before you jump into multiplayer, uh, free sync, free single player content is coming in 2021 free again. Um, and then a season pass is also coming in 2021 with uh, multiple crossover characters from other Ubisoft properties. Yeah. They're going to be, I think they showed, um, I can't remember the name, but it's the guy with the mask and the hood from Watch Dogs Two yeah. with the digital with the digital facial expressions. Yep. And there's an Assassin's Creed character yep. coming as well. So there's lots of uh, post-launch content coming for it as well, um, and it looks mo- like most of it is going to be free, which is always good. Um, and of course, it's a Ubisoft single-player action RPG, so you know that campaign is going to be gigantic. So everything is shaping up pretty well for Watch Dogs Legion. I do know that it is a franchise I think a lot of people associate with getting burned. Would you agree mm. with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, certainly the first game... Misdirection. Sort of, the first game was because of the, you know, it was the first next-gen thing we saw. Right. Um, even though Ubisoft didn't admit it at the time. And then when it came out, it totally didn't look like that. Yeah. You know, like... Like, the, like the, I think Watch Dogs Legion is finally looking kind of like the original video for Watch Dogs 1. 
at this point. <laughs> like true. there was some there's some You're lighting stuff in that. True. Some of the stuff that yeah. was in that first trailer, I think, is finally starting to be implemented legitimately in the yeah, franchise. Some of the some of the fabric and collision physics on the fabric and some of the lighting tricks, like we're only just seeing now. Yeah. Real time. Um, yeah. And Watch Dogs 2, I think, like Watch Dogs 2 is sort of a beautiful half miss, I think. Like and I'm biased towards that a little bit. That game a little bit because it takes place where I grew up. Yeah. Like, and it's and it's actually a really great depiction of where I grew up. Of it, yeah. It's the it's the only game that I know of that has San Mateo in it, which is yeah, the city it's I was the born best in. Bay Area in a video yeah, game. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. And like it and it nailed my. Fa- I will always give it give Watch Dogs two credit for one of the greatest because I grew up in kind of down the peninsula for a, a lot. Like you know Palo Alto, the you know the upcoming tech Silicon Valley world was sort of where I came from, as well as San Francisco itself because we would go there all the time. But like. There was an early on playing it. I went down to Palo Alto in the game to see how it was. And there was a moment where like I was riding a motorcycle really fast down what was probably supposed to be University Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I made a mistake and I bounced off something and I, I, yeah, I hit a wall. I basically I went off the, into the sidewalk and smashed into the wall of a building and, um, and like hit the, you know, hit the ground. The, the, the bike like blew up and I hit and it landed on my back. And this woman walking by goes, Oh, I hate that crunch sound. And just like walks away. And I'm, like, I'm like, that is absolutely Palo Alto. That is it. Yes. Like that whole thing. Oh, not you, worried about you your dying. Ho- your horrible near fatal injury has really ruined my day. I hope you're happy. Like that is absolutely what would happen there. Yep. It was perfect. Yep. So perfect. Watch Dogs Legion coming soon. Uh, just to hear in a couple of weeks, you don't have to wait much longer. And I think it's shaping up to be really something good. But we'll find out soon enough. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about something I teased a little earlier when I was talking about how we were already starting to see how Microsoft was going to deal with distribution of Bethesda's content now that it has purchased Bethesda. And part of that manifests this week. In fact, just I think it was yesterday it was announced there are two Bethesda-driven collections that are coming uh, basically repackaging old games into new products. Uh, there out two, of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Well, is it out of nowhere after Microsoft purchased Bethesda? I guess, but it's just like, oh, wow, that was fast and, like, kind of weird. Like, is it does it seem kind of weird? It's it like, does, right. it definitely it, seems weird. It seems like especially something... Especially for, like, games that, like, they have put these thing, these games on deep discount so many times in the last couple of years. Like, I think I got Prey for, like, $3 on Xbox One or something. And the idea that anyone who is interested doesn't already have these is sort of odd to me. Okay, so just what, so we're clear on what's in each of these collections. The Wolfenstein Alt History Collection includes all four games from Wolfenstein. Also, Youngblood. I was actually surprised... Mm-hmm that they rolled Youngblood in there, because it's a relatively new game. Yeah, it's like less than a year, right? Now, it was a budget game. It didn't sell for, for yeah. full price, and it did not sell very well. So maybe yeah, they're what, just like, I mean, you know what? what? Screw what's it. We'll, new? Just, we'll just toss it in there. <laughs> it, is an, so, it is a Bethesda game. Yeah, what's the, is there a price point on that? Uh, yes, that one is $80. I mean, that's not bad for four, four games. Four games, 80 bucks, not bad. Uh, then the second one is called the Dishonored and Prey, the Arcane Collection. And that includes mm. Prey from 2017, Dishonored, and Dishonored 2. And that sells for 60 bucks. Does that um, also have the, the Dishonored 2 like expansion thing? Yep, all DLC included and all this stuff. Um, so those are pretty good deals, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you spend 80 bucks for those four games, I think you're going to be pretty happy with your purchase. If you spend 60 for those three, I think you're going to be pretty happy with your purchase. I think yeah. the bigger question here is... Or maybe- I mean, look, I think I actually bought the Prey Dishonored bundle already on Xbox One 
for like $15 mm. about six months ago. Like, <laughs> the, yes. that's what I don't get is like, they have, they have blown these games out. Even, I mean, they've been bundling the Dishonored and Prey stuff together for a long time, at least on Xbox that I've yeah. seen. Um, and now, are they doing anything to them to make them worth 60 bucks? No, or is that just. Not. <laughs> they're right. just like hey we have these good games that nobody bought maybe if we put all of them on one disc people will care i don't know if they will but really what the bigger question for me here and what struck me the most about this story is how quickly things are moving at bethesda after the acquisition by microsoft now i'll, mm-hmm. I'll just say this before we start talking about this i've had a couple people come after me on youtube surprise surprise and say or come after us really and say that deal's not done. They don't own Bethesda. Literally, I've had people come to me and be like, you shouldn't even be talking about this stuff yet because that the ink has not been signed. And they're right. The deal technically has not been signed yet. That won't happen until next year. They're going through <clears throat> processes to make mm. sure there's not antitrust violations and monopoly, all that kind of crap. That's just typical. That doesn't mean the deal hasn't happened. They've agreed the deal is no. going to go through. This is when they, proof when they, that the when deal is NBC, done. When when Comcast bought M- NBC, which I was there for, mm-hmm. I was in the middle of all that. The year before that deal was finalized, all operations functioned as though it was already happened. Yep. Like there is there's nothing nothing is going to stop this train. I promise yeah. you. It's like, a done like, deal. It's done. It is over. It is there's done. no. And I'm guessing these people are probably... And if probably, it wasn't done, you wouldn't know about it. Right. And I'm guessing That's these all, people yeah. are probably PlayStation fans who are very upset that these games are probably not coming to PS5 yeah. and they're just I holding mean, out theory, for could, anything. The only thing that could really stop it is the antitrust thing, and there's no reason to think there'd be any kind of antitrust issues with buying they're Bethesda. They're not big enough. Like, not, no, the, not at Bethesda's all. Bethesda's not big enough. There's no way that anything like that's going to stop the deal. So the deal is happening, and they're already acting on it. Let's, that's be, let's be honest. Like, yeah. Bethesda's not going to do this um, unless it has the blessing of Microsoft, and it has. And the final twist of all this is that an Xbox Series X version is coming of both of these collections. However, an official PS5 version is not coming. But if you get it for PS4, the games will play on PS5 Mm -hmm. with its backwards compatibility stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, I, that makes sense. I wouldn't expect a separate PS5 SKU for this. Yeah, but they are um, creating a separate SKU for Series X, which is interesting. Yeah. Oh, even though they're not enhanced, really. Right. Um, yeah. But, like, that that seems to be a pretty clear so- road sign of how they're addressing this going forward. Yep. It looks like, like if there's a PS4 version of something from Bethesda, then, yeah. Yeah. You're good. But there's not going to be any more extra work going forward. Nope. And if there's not a PS4 version of something, you're never getting it on PlayStation 5. That seems like a pretty reasonable assumption. And yeah, and I think it's reasonable from Microsoft and Bethesda's perspective as well. It's like Microsoft bought them for a a purpose. It's to help them grow their business. Well, well, also, like, why bother? You know, like, like you've, you've sort of, you sort of, you sort of walked that path already on PS4, and there's a lot of those games didn't sell, so why throw more money after it, you know? I mean, I kind of feel that way in general about these collections, but it obviously didn't cost you anything to bundle them up and put them in a different configuration on the Xbox store. Yeah. Um, and you can probably make a uh, Xbox Series X version pretty simply, like once you got access to all the internal stuff for that. Like, they, you know, Microsoft probably has teams can do that on their own, judging by 
what they've done with backwards compatibility on Xbox One with games that did, they didn't need to reprogram. They didn't even need Rockstar's help to make Red Dead Redemption One look that look like that on the Xbox One. So uh, it sounds like Microsoft sort of has that in hand. Um, yep. Whereas with that for a PS5 version, you might have to even work with Sony, and clearly that those days are over. So. Yep. In, in the case of a PS4 collection, it sounds like that's probably just like, okay, just bundle these together on the store and call it a day. You know, like that's nothing. To me, this was kind of a subtle way that Microsoft and Bethesda are kind of signaling this yeah. is kind of how it's going to happen um, without overtly angering PlayStation fans who are ultimately are going to be left out in the cold with some of Bethesda's biggest games. But that's certainly the way seems it is. like it. That's just the way the industry Unless, works. Like, Unless, like, six to eight months from now, they put a PS5 version of the collections out. Yeah. Like, you think that might they might do that? No. Because they're already like, PS4 games? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they could, probably could, but I don't think they will. Yeah. I don't um, see you, any yeah, new PS4 code games. being created other, to run on PS5, I guess. Also, the, well, the other angle on this that, that I think has not been talked about too much, um, to qualify as a PS5 SKU, you might need to take advantage of the PS5 hardware in a way that, these just simply won't. That's a good point. Um, yeah, if it's you're right as a SKU, not something that yeah. you're just like downloading and it just yeah. Works. If you're gonna like yeah. it's a PS4 game that's running on a PS5, that is one thing. But to make it a PS5 version, like it sounds like you probably would have to like optimize it at least to take advantage of of the pipelines that Cerny talked about. There's no way and they're gonna you're not do that. doing that. Not Even happening. if they hadn't been bought by Microsoft, I don't think they're gonna do that. You know, they like Siri. I don't <laughs> they know. They had I don't think, to. Like, I don't think they would have. I think you're just throwing bad, good money after bad at that point. They'd still sell eight million copies on PlayStation, even if it was busted. I mean, it happened with Skyrim. Yeah, but I mean, you just just bundle the PS4 one, and that's still going to show up in the PS5 store, and you're yeah. still going to sell what you sell. I don't think um, Bethesda will be writing to PlayStation Five ever. They'll. I don't think they'll ever write new code for PlayStation Five. I think if any of their old games will get up and work on PlayStation Five, cool. Anything yeah. where they have to do work, it's not going to happen. That's my no. that's my take. Well, why would it? I just, at most, at most, if, at most, it would be like you hand you know the game has been on Xbox and PC for a year, and they handed handed to a port studio, sort of like what Sony's doing with the PC versions of their games. Yeah. At most, that would be that's what would happen. That would be surprised if even that happened. To be honest with you, um, I mean, it, it again. I think it depends on on sort of whether they feel whether Microsoft feels that Bethesda's titles are driving are driving consumer interest to their hardware and to their ecosystem. Um, Do you think they might be more open to releasing it on PS5 if they have an exclusive that releases for Xbox platforms and doesn't do very well? Now, I know the chances of that happening are pretty slim, but... I mean, not necessarily, but I, I wouldn't be super shocked if things like, say... Not that they're necessarily going to make another one of these, but like, like say, Dishonored, Dishonored 3. Mm-hmm. If Which is that never event- <laughs> Which, if that eventually got like a new, got a PS PlayStation version, like a PS5 version, but you would never see like a PS5 version of Starfield. No. Nope. Or Fallout 5 yeah. or Elder Scrolls 6. You know, like the big ones, the big internal Bethesda games, Bethesda games stuff. The ones that really drive their revenue yeah. in all yeah. honesty. The other stuff the is stuff just that's like sort of like, in between. <laughs> Yeah, like if like you know, if you're gonna put out like I don't know, wet two, <laughs> like I could see that going multi-platform yeah. eventually, you know, like but you want to hang on to the things that are the draws, whereas like maybe it would make more financial sense to put out the, the B-listers. Not that I, not that I mean that as an insult because I really like stuff like Prey and all the yeah, yeah. all the stuff that they put out that doesn't sell for whatever fucking reason. Um, hey, Minecraft is on everything. Yeah, 
tons, I mean, tons of stuff Bethesda puts out that doesn't sell well deserves to sell way better than it does. Oh, almost um, every game it makes, I yeah. would argue, other than like Elder Scrolls, deserves to sell better than it does almost every but, time. But I feel like you're, you know, games like the the internal stuff, like the stuff that Todd Howard makes, yep. will stay on in the Xbox ecosystem. Doom would I would probably keep for myself if I were Microsoft. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe uh, Fallout. Fall, well, Fallout's another internal one. I would I would describe that as an internal. Like, God yeah, knows. I mean, we'll that's, see Fallout I don't think that's going to be on PlayStation. I don't think the next Fallout no. will be on. PlayStation. I don't think Fallout Five is going to be on Xbox Series X. Probably not. Well, definitely I, not. <laughs> I think Fallout Five is going to be on next next. They'll gen. still be owned by Microsoft whenever it oh, happens. Yeah. But you're right. Oh, yeah. It is a long ways away. All right, so that's the latest on Bethesda and Microsoft. I know it's probably not what a lot of you guys want to hear, but we're here to tell you the truth. That's what we do on Game Face. Whether you want to hear it or not, we're going to give you the straight dope on every we're topic just we a cover. A couple of Walter Concrites over here. <laughs> that's the way it is. Well, exactly. Well, I'll dispel that myth with our next topic, where we're going to talk about a cartoon marsupial. Uh, we're going to talk about... Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time. And I'm sure you guys are like, Wait I don't a know. Walter Conkright was a big uh, Tasmanian Cronkite. Devil fan. Cronkite. Cronkite was yeah. a big Tasmanian Devil fan. Yeah, so was my uh, my grandpa Satterfield. My grandfather Satterfield <laughs> fought in World War II. He told me the only story I remember him ever telling me, because he died when I was still pretty young, was his World War II story where he told me he had to lay underneath mud for like four days. <laughs> and he never said anything. If you went to his house, he just sat there in his chair and just stared at the TV. He never laughed except when Looney Tunes came on, and he would sit there and laugh like a loon, and it would blow my mm -hmm. mind. I'm like, oh, my God, Grandpa's laughing. He never la – he hardly talked. I don't even remember what his voice was like. He talked so little. Yeah. But those cartoons, man, for whatever reason. Those things are – I, I, oh, I mean, I grew up watching a lot of those because my dad loved them, and, like – I put a bunch. So I don't. If anyone who has uh, HBO Max, I don't know if you know this, but there is pretty much a complete collection of Looney Tunes yeah. from the beginning in chronological order, like arrayed across like thirty season yeah. groups. But everything you could possibly think of that isn't like the super racist ones are on there. <laughs> and um, I hate to laugh. When I was that, but when I was doing some baking uh, last week, I put them all. I put on a, like a like a golden age. I started kind of in like the, the mid forties and uh -huh. just sort of like went from there. And it played one of the ones that I remember. I hadn't thought of it in for, for forever, but it was um, the one where uh, 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 Yosemite Sam builds a cabin on top of uh, Bugs' Bugs's hole, and they oh, fight over yeah. who gets to live in the That's cabin. That's a classic, man. And early at the very beginning, like Sam's playing like a banjo or something and singing a song, and and um, and uh, Bugs is banging his way up through the boards because they built over his rabbit hole, yeah. and he, and Sam hears it and looks at the audience, looks at the camera, and goes mice and like <laughs> my, I, I fucking fell over because like my dad loved that line for a reason and anytime yeah. there was a noise in the house he'd just look over and go mice and like, <laughs> I, was like, I, I hadn't thought of that in years that's a great and all of episode. a sudden that thing just like brought me brought me back yeah i remember um, really well, good stuff i'll say this that's also a great segue into the next topic because that's exactly what they're trying to do with crash bandicoot 4 it's about time they're trying to bring you back to like 1997 yeah. uh and I, I don't think Golden it was the right move. <laughs> now, you guys are probably wondering, why the hell did Shane go back and play Crash 4 after he played that demo and talked about it on Game Face? Certainly what I'm asking. Well, first of all, 
we have a show to do every week. And sometimes beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> sometimes I have to play games that I don't necessarily want to play. Um, and it can be hard. I, if you... I am reminded of um, uh, Dustin Hall. Uh, who is it? Damn, now I forgot his name. I'm getting old. Who's the guy? <laughs> yes, the guy played King, played King Koopa in uh, Super Mario Brothers. He was in uh, uh, oh. Dennis Hopper. Dennis oh. Hopper. So Dennis Hopper yes, tells good. a story about his son where his son saw the Super Mario Brothers movie and asked him, Dad, why were you in that terrible movie? <laughs> and, he, and, and Hopper, who did that movie for the money, basically said, um, well, son, I guess I did that money so you could have new shoes. <laughs> and, the, and his kid says, I don't need new shoes that bad. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your, your, your return to the Crash Bandicoot for well. Reminded me of that story. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and we needed an episode of Game Face this week. And so I sought out and Activision sent me review code for Crash 4. And Because you only played the demo before. Right? Yeah, it was three levels that was in the, that were in the demo. And I'll say this. It was like rock hard difficulty in the demo. Those levels were from like far into the game. I have no idea why they would do that. I mean, I kind of understand it because they wanted to show off a wide swath of everything that's in the mm. game. So in the demo, you got to play as like Cortex, and then you got to play another level where you had a power-up. Um, and so I... Also, arguably, like people who were downloading that demo were probably like the more hardcore gamers who are right. also the ones who remember who played Crash back in the day. So maybe you're trying to appeal to people who want like the challenge and want want yeah you know, they don't want like to think it's like a baby game yeah. version. They want to they want to know that they're going to get because those old Crash games were hard. They were hard. They want to they, they want to know the, they want to know the pedigrees there. So I, that kind of makes sense to me. But like, yeah, what a first impression. I mean, it turned me off to the game. Yeah, to I mean, the, it would have turned me off to too, the point sure. where. Um, I had this and Super Mario 35 and obviously the game that we talked about earlier to play, Squadrons, and I put this off to the end. Like, I just didn't want to play it, so I didn't start playing it until, like, the weekend. And then I started playing it, and I liked it! (laughs) (laughs) At least at first. Um, So the game starts out very, very mildly. Um, It's... I mean, it's still like you get hit once you die. But the, the other thing about Crash is, sure, if you get hit once you die, but so do the enemies. All you have to do is hit the enemy once. And even if you just barely catch the enemy with just a pixel of your spin, it still kills the enemy. So there's intrinsically there's a little bit of balance built into it. And the other thing I would say, too, is that when you start the game, you can choose to play it um, in retro mode or modern mode. Retro mode, there's no checkpoints. Modern mode, there's checkpoints. Play modern mode. I'll tell you that right now. But the game does start out very gentle. Like, it's basically the first level is just platforming, getting, learning how to judge the jumping. Um, I will say this. I still have not really settled in on a control scheme that feels intuitive and comfortable. I still cannot judge jumping distance very well in this game. I've tried using the D-pad. I've tried using the analog stick. I just cannot do it. And the double jump is so weird and awkward because he jumps once and then his second jump like his legs flatten out and the jump isn't the same distance as the first jump it's like a little extra kind of mini boost it, 
I've still, after playing this game for hours and hours, do not feel comfortable knowing when I jump, I'm going to land on a platform. Every time I jump, I feel like I'm right on the edge of dying. And another part of that is because there's no ledge mechanics in this game. So there's no grabbing onto a ledge and pulling yourself up. You either make the jump and you land on the platform, or you barely make it and don't and slide off and fall to your death. Because you fall off platforms in this game, you die because it's one-hit death. Um, but the first couple levels of this, I really liked it. Like, I was just storming through the levels, just having fun. And then they they start – they, they give you your first power-up, basically. And your first power-up is this thing that can turn stuff on and off. So there are objects in the world that are kind of an outline. And if you hit the button, they become solid, and then other objects become invisible. And so they start working the le- the platforming around this. You have to jump – and so say there's like a wall, you jump, you hit the button once so the wall disappears, then you have to hit the jump the button again before you land on the platform so the platform becomes solid. And so then, like right there, the game just starts becoming this trial and error exercise. Um, this game could be really good. Like if they had taken three or four hours for the game to get to that point, that's a good difficulty curve. I'm cool with that. Um, If in the middle of the game it becomes that difficult, fine. We're literally talking about like the first 45 minutes here. The first two levels, great. Tons of fun. You're like, okay, I died maybe once or twice. I'm cool with that. That's kind of how games work. And then you get to like, after actually, once you connect with Coco and you can start playing as either one of them, that's and you get your first power up, that's when it starts to become a pain in the ass. Um, And another problem with the game is I had said I thought before it might be more free roaming. And I said after the demo, I didn't really see that. I'm not seeing it in the final game either. And the more I play the game, the more annoying that becomes because you cannot move the camera at all. At all. I have found myself constantly hitting the right analog stick, trying to see something that I need to see, and you can't you can't touch it. Um, if you go past a certain area, say you're jumping through a gauntlet of platforms that's challenging, and there are. There's times where there's, like, stuff going all over, and the platforms are disintegrating underneath you, and maybe there's, like, this little offshoot to the left that you just kind of catch with your peripheral vision. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's something secret there. I want to go get You can't go get it. Once you pass it, there's no way to flip the camera around to go back to see where you're jumping. Maybe if you looked at it and just subconsciously memorized where the platform was, you could jump back there. I don't know. But this is one of those games where once you pass go, go past something, there's no going back to get it. And the collectibles are a huge part of this game. When you finish every level, it's like, how did you do? And it shows like all these diamonds pop up, and it gives you a score. And if you don't do great, it will actually recommend that you go and replay the level again. Yet, if you pass something, you can't go back and get it. It's just... It's just an archaic function of the way the games were originally made. Not being able to control the camera. There's all this, like, hidden stuff in the levels. And, like, you may see, like, this thing that goes off. You're like, well, I see the checkpoint up here. And I see this offshoot here that's probably going to give me something good. Should I go down that alternate path and take the chance of dying? Or should I just go straight and get that checkpoint? And But then I can't come back because in the camera, it's it's this these weird contrivances that you have to make for this game over and over again, because, again, it's tied to this design from 1997 to, like, 2000 or whatever. Um, But, and it's a shame, because I was enjoying it, Matt, like, really enjoying it for the first, like, hour of play. And then once it got to this point where 
you just have to you have to try stuff and die. Now the checkpoints are pretty generous, but I guarantee you there are going to be parts in this game where they're not generous enough. Where because a lot of the checkpoints after you hit the checkpoint, there's like a really easy stretch where it's just like a formality. You're just jumping over a bunch of platforms. It's not very hard. Then you get to the part where you die. Well, if you get to a really hard part and you have to keep doing that really easy section of the level over and over, it really starts to grate on the nerves. Uh, Another caveat for me, having played a lot of 3D platformers, is there's just not that much breadth to this game. There's a double jump. There's its take on the butt slam, which is kind of just like a body slam where he slams down on stuff. And that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of control nuance to the game. And obviously his spin. Um... And so most of the game is just jumping and spinning. There's not much more that gets involved. Although Cortex, eventually, you play as him, and he has, like, a ray gun that, like, transforms stuff. But that I think I played two levels of him so far. Like, he's not a big part of the game. For the most part, you're just playing as Crash and Coco, who, by the way, you can switch between any time you want. Uh, and their abilities are the same. So there's no trade-off on switching from one or the other. Uh, There are cosmetics that you unlock, and, like, already I have, like, all these crazy outfits for Crash, and they are crazy. Uh, They're not just like, hey, now he has a hat on. Like, they totally transform kind of how he and Coco looks. But I will just say this, Matt. There is still something here in Crash Bandicoot. There is an ability to make a good game from this IP. Now, I wouldn't say this game isn't good. If what you're looking for is... The same game you played back in 1998, but in 1080p, this is it. And there are people out there who want that. Obviously, Insane Trilogy sold insanely well. So there's an audience out there for that. I just don't think that this game is going to reach beyond that audience. And I would not recommend this game to people who are not in that audience. It's just, it just becomes annoying after a while. It's like, I want to rely on skill, not some cheap trap. That's in a game that you discover also because you you can't move the camera. So sometimes you get caught by these traps that the only way to know that they're there is to get caught by them. And then go back to the the checkpoint and start over and do it all over again. And there's just a lot of that in the game. Just like even points where you'll jump over a platform. But there's, there's an enemy there who's like dropping bombs on the platform. Well, the first time you do it, you don't realize he's not dropping the bomb on the first platform you land on, but the second one. So the first time you do it, you land, you take a few steps forward, you die. Second time you realize, okay, they're actually bombing the second one. So when you jump and land, you stop and you wait. You wait for the bomb to hit that next tile, then you move forward. That's what this game is like. You're constantly doing the same things over and over, trying to figure out what you can change from the last time you tried it to get through it. Um, And it does feel rewarding when you complete levels in this, I'm not going to lie, because they are challenging. When you get to the end, you're like, whew! And then they tell you, you were really bad, you want to try this again, and you're like, hell no, I got through it (laughs) and I'm not doing it again. That's what this game is like. It's not one of those games that you can't wait to go back and play it again. The level design isn't like that. It's all very linear Um, And there's a very sort of predisposed way to get through each level in a way that they want you to get through the level. It's not like Mario where they give you these mechanics and tools and just send you into the world and you can find six different ways to get from this point on the ground to this point up here. In this game, there's one way. There's one way that they want you to do it, and either you do it that way, and you learn the way, and you make it through the level, or you fight against it, and you get frustrated, and you stop playing it. And that is Crash 4 in a nutshell. So 
I do not think it transcends for people who were maybe old fans but then played Insane Trilogy and were like, oh, this isn't for me anymore. Maybe the new one will be. No. This game is made like Insane Trilogy. And it's a well-made game, and it's pretty, and the story's not terrible. Um, basically, you're trying to collect all these masks to send to stop this rift that Cortex and this other bad guy has opened in space-time continuum or whatever. You're collecting masks to close that up. It's the writing and the voice acting and the animation are good enough to sell it. Um, hmm. The game itself doesn't like the worlds don't look that good. The characters look amazing. Like the facial animation and just the animation in general throughout the whole game is awesome. Um, I'll say this, like the spinning feels really good. The sense of momentum that you feel from just sort of running or jogging and then going into the spin. I was able to learn how to be good with the spin very quickly. It's very intuitive and it works the way that you feel like it should. Um, And it's important because you have to be really pinpoint precision with the spin in this game because you got to take out enemies without hitting the TNT box. Um, And again, like, you know, the TNT boxes and the nitro boxes in this game, if you just touch them, you die. And the camera in this game, it'll be like at an offset angle and you'll see the little TNT box down in the corner of the screen. And you're but there's like this other box next to it that you need to get the stuff out of and you spin and you can't move the camera and you blow up the nitro box and you die and you go back to the. (laughs) That's how this game works. That's pretty much what it is. So if you're an old fan of Crash, you're going to love it. In fact, it's probably the best Crash Bandicoot game ever made in that vein. If you have not enjoyed the Crash games in the past, so far I have not completely finished it. I feel like I'm pretty close to the end. So far what I've played in this game is not going to change your mind at all. But again, probably the best Crash Bandicoot game ever made. Do you have any questions, Matt? I know we just talked about this a couple episodes ago. I mean, it sounds like what you describe is definitely, sounds like you're describing a PlayStation 1 game um, in terms of the mechanics. Um so I guess that's good because the the trilogy collections sold so well that I they I mean like you say it's not going to break out of the it's not going to break out of that audience but that audience seems to be pretty big um, so I guess that's fine uh, but like that what you describe of the how the gameplay and how the level design works is like something I do not miss about that era I don't either. They're archaic. It's like they're, yeah. this game turned out this way because technically they could not figure out another way to do it. And then it became mm-hmm. like this endearing thing that kind of separated it from Mario. Um, and, you know, because PlayStation fans were going to hate Mario and Nintendo no matter what, like they kind of rallied behind Crash. And the truth of it is, is that Crash's games are a, a joke compared to Mario's games. That's just mm-hmm. the truth. I don't care what side you're a fan of. That's just the truth. Um, and again, even just playing Super Mario 64 again on that collection, even with the, the poor presentation, like, oh, there's no I'd rather contest. play Super Mario 64 for like the 10th time than play this game. I'll just yeah. And it's just like, like, I don't know, like, I get that there's people that have nostalgia for the, the crash stuff in that regard and say, so maybe it'd be like, you know, being glad that Sonic Mania came out similarly. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, just this big throwback to this thing. I'm like, but again, when Crash came out, I was 21. Like, I don't have any warm, fuzzy feelings for that era, really. That was just, at the time, I said, like, this is all going to age terribly because it's the first 3D world, 3D generation, and they're just kind of trying to figure out how cameras work, yeah. and none of this is going to age well. And I was completely right, even though people yelled at me about it at the time. 
Um, that is the biggest mistake of Crash 4, is not giving the player control of the camera. That I, is really weird. Like, uh, of all the things that I think would be something you could tweak, at a, even in, even staying true to that old style and philosophy of design, you would think being able to give the, the player the ability to look ahead or something would be... Turn it. That's really yeah. the thing. Just being able to rotate it is a huge deal because it helps you see around corners and see stuff that's like really small because of the perspective, because the camera's locked. So stuff that, and if you keep running, the camera stays there and Crash becomes tiny and he's standing next to this little, bo- to a box that's like a pixel. And you're like, uh, like when is it going to, camera going to switch? Like, it's just trash. It's a trash way to make mm-hmm. a game in 2020. Like um, I've always been of the opinion that like a, a well-designed game, you can get through without dying the first time if you happen to be good and lucky enough. Yeah. Well, that's um, definitely not the case here. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to be, you need to give the player enough time to react to what's about to happen, um, and obviously that's not true of a whole lot of NES games. But and like games around that you know the era that even predate Crash. Um, but I would argue that the games that have aged well and the games that people still play for fun now from that era don't do that. Yeah, they like definitely they, they, don't. You know, Mario 3 is one of the most fair-playing games of its generation. Agreed. Yep. Um, and like you, you don't get cheap shots in that game. Yep. Um, so, and like most of the games that people continually go back to just don't have that. Granted, a lot of them are RPGs, which yeah, yeah not a lot of cheap shots in Chrono Trigger. So, yeah, <laughs> so you can't really do that. Yep. But um, it's just like I, have no, I didn't have a lot of patience for that stuff then. I had no patience for it in the crash games at the time, and I sure as hell don't want to pay full price to do it again. So, yeah, not for me. I'll probably never play this game. Yeah, it's also not an especially gigantic game. They try to encourage you to go back and replay levels to get, like, all the the diamonds and all the collectibles, and there's a lot of stuff to uncover in the levels. But, again, just traversing through the levels is such a pain in the ass because there's no camera, and, again, Mm -hmm. because there's no camera control, and, again, because you can't go back it's, I don't know. I, I don't know why they built it that way. I don't know if that was demanded of them by Activision. But for the next game, they need to bring Crash into this millennia. <laughs> Just be honest. It still is living in the last one. So, Although they, they tried a couple times and that didn't work out too well for them. So yep. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is his niche. Maybe this is where Crash belongs. This weird, frustrating throwback sort of thing that just appeals to these people that played the, you know, there's the, I feel like a lot of the crash nostalgia comes from like some of the games that I like from when I was a kid where like I had that game and like maybe two others and I couldn't afford to get another one. So I just played this one over and over and over and over again. And that's just what I got used to. And it didn't even seem hard. (laughs) Eventually. Yeah. You (laughs) You got so good at them that like, it didn't even seem hard. Now you go back and play them and you're like, how the hell did I finish this game? I don't know. I mean, my, like my, my, the one like that for me was uh, Shinobi on the game gear, which is like the only game I had on that for a long time. And I've just played it over and over and over again to the point that I could beat it without being hit. And then someone I, else would I, come over and be able to make it past the first screen. Yeah. And like now I put it on. And the funny thing is like I, I put it in, I put it on an emulator now and like, or like on, it was also on 3DS as a virtual console as well. And like, I, like there's moments where they, where it comes back. Like when I'm playing it, I'm like, oh, right. And my thumbs just know what to do. Muscle memory. And then, and then I'll get Tony to Hawk. a Hawk. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll get to a point where I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do now anymore. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> But uh, it's amazing that it's at some point I could do that in my to the point that if I got touched by an enemy, I would turn it off and start over. Like, yep. I guess I do kind of have a speedrunner 
uh, something in the way back of my mind, but I'm too old for that now. Now, one thing I will say before we move on to our next topic is that I did say that, you know, it's all about them keeping it old school. And they, they do. They they hold on to that aesthetic 100%. One thing that's cool that's in the game is it has a pass and play. Mm, I hate that. A pass and play option mm. where you all sit together on a couch and you take turns playing. And you're like, well, wait, why would they have to create something for like that? Like that? I just used to do that. Well, they because they've built like a structure around it where if you keep passing the controller the way you're supposed to, it will keep track of all four people, how they've performed and what they've done. Uh, when you get to the end of the level, then you get like a report for each one of those players. It works for up to two to four. Um, and you just play it with one controller, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think really it's just a, it's just another example of when keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> it's like, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep old fans happy. They're trying to keep it true to what makes Crash what it is. But unfortunately that does not result in a great video game for 2020. So but it might result in great sales for a video game in 2020, judging by the trilogy collection. I'm I interested to see what this thing sells like. Enough because that after- might be true as well. Also, like I don't know how well this holds up if you don't have pleasant twenty-year-old memories of being twelve, right. Playing this thing, you know, like it, it might just be annoying now. When we talked about it last time, I can't remember if the comments were actually on Sifted or if they were on the YouTube version of the show. But somebody piped in and said, "Oh, I made it like halfway through one Crash game in the Insane trilogy and never touched it again." So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were unpleasantly reminded of what Crash Bandicoot really is when I got Insane Trilogy. So it will be interesting to see how Crash 4 sells. I hope it does well, but not so well that they won't change it. So I hope it does well enough that they're like, yeah, we're making another one, but it only sells sells well enough that they're like, well, we can do better than this, and so we need to work on this game more because it does need Mm -hmm. work. And if they ever want to sell more than a few million of them, it's going to need a lot of work. Uh, So there you go. That's Crash 4. Um, available for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. No Switch version yet, although I would not be shocked if it eventually com- is coming. I also would be shocked because if you look at the game, I think it could absolutely run on Switch. The environments, no problem. They may have to cut down the character models a little bit uh, to get it to run smoothly on Switch, but I think they can do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up there eventually. And put him in a, in a Mario outfit. <laughs> <laughs> at long last, he has become the plumber rather than yelling at the Assimilated. plumber. Yep. Uh, I do not see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we are going to talk about a Nintendo platformer, though, and a platformer that came out for free uh, to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the original Super Mario Brothers, and that is Super Mario Brothers 35. It is built structurally a whole lot like Tetris 99. So essentially what it is, and if you don't know what Tetris 99 is, you're playing Tetris with 99 other people. And their screens are, your screen's in the middle, and then their screens are almost like little thumbnails on the side. And as you play, you're supposed to monitor what people are doing in the other screens. And then in Mario 35's case, as you defeat enemies, those enemies get sent to other people's worlds. Um, so if you defeat a Goomba, that Goomba is going to appear in someone else's game, and then they have to defeat it, and then that goes to somebody else's game. It's just like daisy chain of enemies that are getting sent to different people's games. And you can control kind of uh, where you send that stuff, although I would say this game is way less clear who you should be sending stuff to than in Tetris. So in Tetris 99, you can quickly scan everybody else's game boards. And you can see how high they're tiled up. So if you see someone who's about to go out, 
You send your blocks to them. Well, the idea is the same in Super Mario Bros. 35, except you can't quickly look at someone else's screen in this and really get a, get a good idea of what's going on. You can tell where they are in the level, but you really don't have any idea if they're like completely overwhelmed with enemies on that stage or if they're running out of time. Because the objective in this, like any Battle Royale game, is to be the last person standing. But you're playing... Imagine it's even harder if you're playing handheld. I haven't even tried handheld, Matt. I, I, I don't even know how you would see anything in handheld mode. It's hard enough on my 65-inch TV to see <laughs> everyone else's screen and be like, oh, that's the person I should send like the enemies to. It's very hard. So I just kind of have mine typically set up on automatic. Um, now, when you first start playing this, at least in the first week, and this game is free, by the way. If you are a member of Nintendo Online, free. It is going away in March, much like Super Mario 3D All-Stars. After March, you won't be able to get it. So if you have a Switch, even Nintendo Switch Online, even if you don't think you want to play it right now, I highly recommend going and downloading it because there's promise here. What's here isn't great, but there's promise. Um, So as you're playing the game, and again, there's 34 other Super Mario Brothers screens going on. It's very hard to tell. I just set it up for automatic, and I'm hoping the algorithm is just smart, and it's like, hey, this guy's about ready to be eliminated. Let's send the Goombas to him. Um, So when you first start playing, everyone sucks. (laughs) And how it works is the only levels that are open are the levels that you you yourself have completed. So this whole week... It, I've just played 1-1, 1-2, 1-1 to 1-5 over and over and over and over again. Because people start playing it. I, it doesn't appear that a lot of people like it, and they stop playing it. So they never unlock more than those first, like, five boards. So when you first start, you get to choose any of the boards that you want to put in, and then they shuffle it into the pile of boards that will ultimately be played. Um and since everybody has only made it through the first few stages, everyone just throws in 1-1 to 1-3, and the whole game is just those levels over and over. So you have either the people who completely suck, who literally go out on the first gap. I'm not even kidding. Because yeah. the other part of this, Matt, is lag. Lag is involved in this. It's online. So if you have any lag, just think about it. Super Mario Brothers, Mario's jump, if you're running, is like so long. If you have... Just one little skip a lag in the middle of that jump. It just ruins everything. It's not like a first-person shooter where you can kind of like, okay, dude's teleporting. I'll just aim ahead of him, and I'll probably hit. It doesn't work in this. Like, you'll fall through the gap and die, and that's it. You're done. You die once, it's over. And then you go back to reloading. And I will say this, games turn over pretty quickly. I don't think I ever waited more than, like, 60 seconds after I left one game before another one started. But anyway... Going back to what I was saying, is you have these two groups. You have these groups of people that suck. They're never gonna get they're never gonna unlock any more levels to contribute to the game. They're always gonna have one one and one two probably to contribute. And they're gonna lose so badly they're probably gonna quit anyway. And they're the people who fall in the first couple gaps and they're gone. Then there are the other people who have actually played Super Mario Brothers once in their life before. And it just turns into this never-ending battle of attrition. Because as the as the players dwindle, less people are sending stuff into your world. So it's almost like this law of diminishing returns. Now, they ramp stuff up eventually to where you are. Like, you'll get a fire flower, and you may kill, like, 10 or 12 Goombas in a row, and then suddenly they're dumped on somebody. That can have an impact. But for the most part, man, it's very easy to stay alive. And once you realize that 
the game is more of a survival of the fittest instead of trying to make it as far as you can into the game that's when it just becomes a wash and everyone it's like the games just go on forever if you have like four or five people who are actually kind of good at it I had a one match I think lasted over 30 minutes, and that was it. I was like, that's it. I'm done. This is not pick up and play anymore. And look, there are very simple things that you can do to fix this game. Um, in fact, we published an episode of Game Flip this week where Vincent actually points out some stuff that he thinks would improve the game. There are a lot of things that you could do to this game to improve it drastically. Um, just kind of there's no, there's no circle that gets smaller in this game. The, that equivalent in this game is the timer. And as time goes on, the timer does get more aggro and it gets quicker, but they need to increase that. They need to increase the urgency through the game much quicker than it does. And I understand it. They're try- they don't want to scare casual people off, but trying to make it palatable to casual people has made it not fun for anyone. So you need to choose. You need to figure out, okay, who's going to play this and then make the game for those people and make it as good for those people as you can. Because right now you have one foot on one side, one foot on the other, and it's not good for anyone. Uh, so again, this game is free. You can download it for free. It's supposed to go away in March. Um, so go download it because I do think that there's a lot of promise here. I love Tetris 99, but Tetris just organically is a better fit for this game design. And the same developer, Erika, uh, that did Tetris 99 made this game. So it's the same studio that made it. It's just that the game itself just does not work as well within this framework. So it's fun for a while, but the better you get at it, the worse it is because you start to find other people who are as good as you, and it just becomes this, like, basically, the first person who gives up ends up losing. Hmm. You just get after a while, you're like, I don't even want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. So you can win, buddy. Like, I don't care. You, there's three people left. One of you guys can win. It doesn't matter to me that much. So um, I like that they tried to apply an idea that I like a lot to a game that I like a lot, but it also shows you that doing that is not a surefire recipe for success. Um, But I do hope they improve it. The fact that they're taking the game away in March makes me nervous. It makes me think that it may be one of those games that they just are like, this is it, and we'll take it away in March, and then we won't care anymore because no one else will be able to play it. I hope that they re-examine that and take some time to make the game better because this is a game that, one, if it's improved, people should be able to play forever. So I don't know what's up with Nintendo lately, Matt, with this whole, like, hey, here's this thing for a few months and now we're going to take it away. I don't know why Nintendo is suddenly on this weird kick with this stuff, but it needs to stop, particularly with games like this that have a lot of promise um, and could be something that you actually enjoyed over the long haul. Matt, have you played this at all? No, I keep forgetting. Does it sound um, interesting to you at all? No, uh, this part of the. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of applying that formula to other games is interesting to me, but not Mario, really. Um, also, like people kept talking about it on Twitter, and all the res- all the impressions were so lukewarm that I just it just wasn't a priority with a busy week for me I mean, to that's like. A good way to put it, it's like turn it, the switch on. Yeah, it's not like crazy fun, but it's not so boring or aggravating that you hate it. It's just this thing. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea to try to apply the the battle royale Tetris model to like other stuff, like, and it might just be my preferences uh, showing, but I I would like to see them do that with Star Fox. 
like as you as you shoot if you like kind of make it more like a standard shooter where like if you hit like all four all four ships in a formation that come at you that formation pops up in another game oh. at people that kind oh, of thing yeah, yeah. yeah you're right like you mean like how you're ho- you hold in the shot and it powers up and then it can actually yeah. like, target you, like you multiple blow, and if you blow out everybody out in like the four, the squadron that comes yeah. at you that squadron pops up in the next in the person you've targeted's game so like oh. instead of say, say instead like of the so you got the default like you know enemies that are coming at you but now that default squadron has a second one with yeah, them. there's another tier. Like I that. like that. That that actually would probably work better than Mario Matt. <laughs> when is Star Fox's anniversary? <laughs> I, who, I don't know. I mean, like, look, I mean, this is a quick and dirty have, first game. First, we have to get the Zelda's anniversary, which is also uh, the anniversary we use to ignore Metroid's anniversary. Right. So there's a whole lot to, to do there. <laughs> or uh, not do, as the case may be when it comes to Metroid. Yeah. But anyway, it is free. I don't think you can pay for it even if you want to. No. Um, you have to. I mean, you might as well download it just to have it. Uh, I mean, if they're going to do this artificial scarcity year, thing, twenty five bucks. It's like you'll get your online play for the whole year, and you'll yeah, get. Yeah, I mean, there was a point at which there was a point at which I would have said it'd be worth it just to have the NES and Super NES uh, game Not libraries. Anymore. Holy crap! They've been <laughs> dropping the ball. The ball so Even bad. like every once in a while, like I'll I'll load that up, and it's like there's something new to play, and I'm like, oh cool, what? I've never even fucking heard of that like, game. Like Gars from. <laughs> Yeah, like, like, like really, like uh, that game came what? out in the U.S. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, and some of it didn't. Like, here, here's the other thing that annoys me on that is sometimes they do put like Super Famicom games on it, and the box is not translated. Like, like I'm, I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't like, know I what the game is. The, <laughs> and it doesn't have a. There's no like, title that pops up when you highlight. I, I guess I have to play right. it to find out what the fuck I'm looking at. It's like it's so weird. Yep, it's agreed. It's and, and I mean, part of it is that, that that any Super Nintendo collection is going to suffer from not having Square Enix on board, who clearly is not on board because they'd rather sell horrible upgrades of their iOS ports as some sort of nostalgia bomb for $30 yeah. for a fucking 25-year-old Super Nintendo game. But, like, what a, what a woeful disappointment that has all been. Nintendo needs to do more of this for yeah. Nintendo Online and more of yeah. also Overwatch. Uh it was announced yesterday that Overwatch, a trial of Overwatch, is going to launch on Switch for free. They didn't say how long the trial was going to last, but they did say that when the trial was over, you're going to have to pay for the full game. And, and, and to get the trial, you have to be a Nintendo Online subscriber. To me, that game should be free. If you're a Nintendo Online subscri- subscriber, there's no value left in that game. It's like five years mm-hmm. old. The sequel's on the verge of like being released. Like yeah. it should the be just like Rocket is about League to collapse in on itself. Yeah. Like there's no. It should just be like Rocket League at this point, bro. You've made your money off the game. Give it away and make your extra cash off the cosmetics and be happy about it. Like, yeah. And if Nintendo has to augment that and say, okay, well, we'll give you a hundred million dollars to offset the loss in sales, then do it. You're making that in like a month on Nintendo Online. Um. There's a lot of ways Nintendo could provide a lot more value for Nintendo Online, and I hope that it looks at things like this, like Super Mario Brothers 35, and starts doing things that way. More stuff like that. More free games. We don't need two a month like we get with PlayStation. We're not. We're paying less than half of what we do for PlayStation yeah. Plus or Xbox Just Live. Just things that make Just it throw feel us like a bone. Like we feel like we're getting some value from it. Just things that make it feel like make you feel good that you subscribe. Yeah, to it. like I don't. It's like I'm. I go in there and I'm like, oh, there's Punch Out again. Should I play that yeah. again? And I will. I'm like, okay, I'll play it until I die, and then I leave. And I five months later, I go back. Oh, I'll play Punch Out until I die again. Like, yeah, I really think it should just be 
Yeah, I mean, at least the last update they did, one of the games was Donkey Kong Country 2, which I've heard of. Right. You know, like yeah. at least, yeah, I don't like the Donkey Kong Country games, but at least I'm like, okay, that's a cool, that's an ad, that's an ad. I'm sure the third one's coming later, and that's another thing that I won't care about, but they're going to expect me to be excited about. It's just everything on that continually remind everything on that platform they, that just continually reminds me of that year the Wii showed nothing but Wii music and Animal Crossing, yep. and Reggie acted like Jeff Keighley was like being ungrateful <laughs> that yeah. he wanted There's more. Animal Crossing. <laughs> Look, you got Animal Crossing, and Jeff's okay, like, hey, well. bro. <laughs> You got a whole year to fill out, bro. Like, how know, disappointing do you? How disappointing do you have to be to make Jeff Keeley push you on something? <laughs> like the man is mostly there to enhance your marketing tactics. I mean, that's still he's, saying, that like, is why he's the there. Games, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's uh, Super Mario Brothers 35 free to download on Switch if you're a Nintendo Online subscriber. All right, it's time to go to our last topic, episode 231. And this just fell right into our laps today. It actually kind of fell into our laps starting over the weekend, but then this morning was the capper. Uh, Over this weekend and today, um, PlayStation finally gave the PlayStation 5 to Japan, meaning it finally let the Japanese press play the PlayStation 5, uh, go to a location, film it, um, record direct feed footage from it, etc. They had a big press event for the Japanese press. And so over the weekend, all this media was coming out, and if you're, you weren't on Sifted over the weekend, you probably had no idea, but all this this gameplay for PlayStation 5 was coming out for the first time, like uh, Yuji Naka's platformer, Balan Wonderland, or whatever the hell it's called. Like The first mm-hmm. gameplay for that came out. Uh, they had a bunch of direct feed from Astro's Playroom, which is, in the, pack, which is the packing game. Um, and so anyway, and apparently kind of robust, uh, yeah. according to them. Like, yeah, it's like five hours long. Five or so hours to do everything. Yeah, yeah. which is way bigger good. than the last Astro game was. I'm glad they're leaning. I mean, I know there was mostly a VR thing originally, but like, I'm glad they're leaning into the Astro Bot thing. Yeah, like, I like that's it. one of the most adorable things Sony's come up with in a very long time. It cer- certainly beats NAC 3. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I like Astro Bot as well. Um, and obviously, you know, he was a big part of PlayStation VR. Um, and like the first time Astrobot is Astrobot is actually as cute as Sackboy thought he was. Yeah, as my as my hot take. Well, I'll say this: Astrobot was the first time my mind was blown in VR. Um, mm-hmm. When I had the little dude run between my legs, and I like looked down between my legs and watched him run in between them. That was like my big VR epiphany moment um, that I had with with uh, that franchise. Uh, but anyway, yeah. nothing sells Shane on on VR like a dude between his legs. <laughs> Touche, Matt. Uh, so anyway, they finally let Japan like have at the PlayStation 5 this weekend. All this cool stuff came out that was handled by the press, like Dangeki and Famitsu and stuff like that. And then this morning, PlayStation Japan official uh, dropped the bomb, and it, uh, it released a PlayStation 5 complete teardown video. This isn't Digital Foundry or some YouTuber with a bunch of screwdrivers taking it apart. This is actually the guy who designed the PlayStation 5, disassembling the entire thing live on camera. Every nut, everything. He takes a retail PS5 and just turns it into a table full of parts. And so we get to see the inside of the PlayStation 5 for the first time. We get to... we. I it looks, like, it looks like the PlayStation 5 was in a crash. It does, <laughs> and, yeah. And it's just scattered all over the table. Um, <laughs> like, we have to figure out why this went wrong. Kind of thing. It's, it's, yeah. It was like the plane crash investigation videos. The crazy part, though, is that we learned a lot about the PlayStation 5 during this teardown. Now, 
Um, if you go and watch it on Sifted, it's in Japanese, so you need to turn on the subtitles in YouTube's player if you want to understand what he's talking about. But there's also graphics that come up, and you're seeing those right now running in the B-roll that kind of explain some of the stuff. So it's pretty easy to consume. Um, but the there was a lot of little details that we didn't know about that we kind of got the first information on. Um First of all, obviously, the first thing he said was, it's larger than PlayStation 4. And if you, you're seeing the video now, it's like literally the whole size of his torso, the PlayStation 5. It is gigantic. It It is the size of a full-size PC case. It is. Height-wise. It's gigantic. It is huge. And seeing it next to that guy really literally put it into into perspective. Like, I want to know how big the box this thing comes in is. It's going to be big. And remember how big the PS3 box was? It was big, too. Yeah. Uh, for some reason. Um, but anyway, then he starts taking it apart. Um, and he, Well, actually, before he takes it apart, he shows off all the ports. On the front, you have a USB Type-C, which is one of those ports that charges really fast, can send just megatons of information through it in a very short period of time. There's one of those on the front. Uh, then there's also one Type-A USB port, but it is a high-speed port, uh, which means you're getting 10 gigabits per second or whatever through that port, I believe. Um, and then on the back, there are two of the Type A high high speed ports. Then the LAN port and the HDMI port. Um, then on the front, there's two exhaust strips that will allow for some cooling on the front of the console. And then the entire back of the console is a grate for cooling, so the air can just flow freely outside the back of the PlayStation Five. Um, what else? Uh, let's see the stand. Did you watch this by any chance, Matt? Not all of it. Okay. The Did fact that the it stand? wasn't Japanese, I didn't see the stand. No. Okay. So I mean, this... I've seen the, I've seen illustrations of like you know, of the the horizontal stand that like looks like a little podium sort of thing. It's the same. The stand yeah. is the same, Matt. It's one stand, and so when you have it one way, you there's like a plate inside the stand that you can rotate, and if you have mm-hmm. it like horizontal, you have the the plate spun one direction. You have it vertical, you have it spun the other direction. And basically, there's a little piece in there that lets it latch on to the particular part of the console that it needs to based on its orientation. Um, and then, um, once you take... So for one orientation, there's a screw that you need to install. For another orientation, you don't. But So you take that screw out, and then you put it into the stand, but then that leaves a hole in the back of the PlayStation 5 where the stand was installed. Well... In the stand, there's a little rubber stopper that you pull out that you pop into that hole and you plug up the hole so the back of the PS5 looks all fresh and nice. Um, very clever. The the design in that stand alone, mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed with. Uh, Especially useful for people who are storing their PlayStation 5s backwards. Right. <laughs> all of those people, Matt. Um, so I was actually pretty impressed with some of the ingenuity in the stand. Um both white panels can be removed and very, very mm-hmm. easily. There's like this one little thing that you turn and then you lift up the corner and then slide it and it just pops off, which means those plates. Color that, customization. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it made I understood everything at that point. Um, the, the console, always going to be black. They're only going to make one console that they have to keep manufacturing over and over. They're going to make plates, and you're going to make plates. You're going to get the CAD files, and you're going to have a 3D printer 
and you're going to make your own plates for PlayStation 5. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee it. Uh, the CAD files, it may take a little while till they leak out, but they're going to leak out. And you're going to be able to make your own plates for PlayStation 5, but until then, they're going to sell them to you. So if you want that black, all-black PS5, they're just going to sell you black plates. If you want, I can blue. see like collector's editions of their first-party games coming with plates. Now, one thing I like, will say, those plates are big. They so, are. So as far as like collector's editions, just shelf space-wise, I don't know. It makes a lot of sense that they would... But you start thinking if you're a GameStop or whatever, and you've got this product that's like these two huge plates and then this little game in the middle of it. It's kind of hard to figure out how that would work. I mean, those boxes are already gigantic because of the statues and that's stuff. That's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. They're used to making room for that. So regardless, like if you're looking at the PlayStation 5, and you're like, I hate that. It's like white and it's got this black band. On. Don't sweat it. You're not going to have to worry about that at all and the crazy part was how easily they popped off like literally you turn like one nut and boop they popped right off slide them right back on easy peasy and again people are going to be 3d printing them there's going to be a whole cottage industry on etsy for this matt where people are 3d printing these plates for the playstation 5 and i think a lot of people will do a really good business because etsy is like the wild west and there's no copyright laws there at all um, so you're probably going to be able to get plates for anything, your favorite band, your favorite sports team, whatever. And you may be able to make them yourself if you're into it. Uh, what else did they show off? Um, let's see. Uh, so it's really deep. It's um, the fan on it. There is just one fan inside it. So then they crack it open, and it's not even that hard to disassemble. I was really surprised how easily and quickly he took the thing apart. But he takes it apart, and the first thing that comes out is the fan. And the fan is a, and I'm, I'm probably not using the right term for this, it's like a dual-direction fan. It can pull in air from, like, both sides. But the fan is, like, this thick. It's, like, this huge, like, thing. I've never seen it. I've, I'm sure PC builders have seen these fans over and over. I've never seen it one like this personally. I have a fan on mine that's about the same similar. They're, they're, the, the fans for CPUs are huge. Yep. Well, that's nothing. This fan is actually small. I was surprised that it was that small. I thought it would be much bigger to cool something like yeah. that. And also look at look at modern video like the new video cards that have come out. You know, that new Nvidia is almost the size of the PS5. Well, I, I at first I was shocked by the size of the fan, and then I saw the heat sink. Holy <laughs> crap! So I'm guessing about fifty percent of the space inside the PlayStation 5 is the heat sink. And it is insane. Like, I'll make sure we put it up on the screen so you guys can see it. But it's this gigantic, like, tubular thing that kind of wraps around all the rest of the... It almost Mm -hmm. looks like they finished it, and they're like, okay, now we need to build the heat sink to fit around all the other rest of the components. Um, but you can see why, because the power supply is inside the console too. So you're trying to dissipate the heat for the GPU, the CPU, and the power supply. Um, so you have this fan that pulls in air from both directions, and you have this heat sink that's taking the heat away from those components, and then the fan is exhausting it out, essentially. Um, now, another thing that was really cool that they have included in this is a dust catcher on the inside of the console. There are these sort of valleys built into the hardware that are designed to catch the dust. And then every few months when it's starting to fill up with dust, there are holes in the hardware to vacuum the dust out of the dust traps. 
So <laughs> you take your little nozzle attachment on your vacuum, you stick it right on the hole, and it sucks all the dust right up out of your PlayStation 5. Again, something I never would have thought that, of that is brilliant. That sounds like a Cerny innovation to me. I guess. Um, that's that's outside-the-box thinking that sounds like him to me. Yep. And really cool. It's like, I don't know if you guys have had this problem. My PS4 sucks up so much dust. It is always covered in dust. The PS4 Pro on the sides, there's just always a thick layer of dust along the side where it's sucking the air in to kick it out of the back. So having the, first of all, designing the hardware to catch dust is a big deal. And secondly, creating a way where you can go and get all the dust out of it hassle-free, brilliant. Um, just, again, something you just don't expect to see on a console that Sony has has added. Um, and they call them actually dust catchers inside the console. Um, and that was pretty much it as far as, like, all the big new information. Oh, I mean, they did get some more specs, though. Um, so the storage expansion is an M.2 interface and a PCIe 4.0. Um and you need to follow those if you're looking to get a replacement hard drive for PlayStation 5. Um, it also came out this week that just 664 gigabytes of that hard drive are actually usable. Matt and I talked about this with Xbox Series X last week, how it's losing 200 gigs and only has 800 gigs available. And we were whining about that. Well, PlayStation 5, you only have 664 gigs available to use for game storage. I mean, that's pretty much where I thought we'd be because this the the... The hard drive on this thing is only eight, like eight sixty five or something like that. Yep. Um, it doesn't use quite is, as much for OS as Series X, but almost. It's close. No, it it you, you lose a fair amount. And like the other thing that's uh, like now that we know what hard drive we would need to expand this thing, there's only as far as I know, there's only one solid state drive that runs yep. fast enough, and it costs more than the Xbox expansion. Yep. So. If you want more SSD storage on your console, uh, you're going to be paying for it. Yep. In both, both cases, but PlayStation is even worse. And the hard drive is smaller. So you you're, you mm. probably have more incentive to actually go get one for PlayStation. Now, the uh, now hopefully, I mean, what I'm very curious about is the functionality, speed, and ease of use of both consoles being able to store stuff on a normal 7200 right. RPM drive and transfer it to the SSD to play off of that. Um, which is obviously only a, only a concern for actual Series X and PS5 made for games. Uh, the, the the backwards compatible games will play off the normal hard drive just fine. Um, but that is a that is a thing I am definitely looking forward to seeing like digital founder or somebody test out yep. because that's that's a tech that's going to be the difference between spending seventy bucks for a new hard drive to expand your storage and two hundred and fifty yep. depending on how this performs. Yep, so we'll see. Yep, uh, and a lot of people have complained about uh, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3 being really loud. Well, Sony didn't listen for PlayStation 4 after the PS3, but it's listened this time. It has completely encased the Blu-ray drive for the disc- disc-based version in steel to cut down the noise. It sits inside this steel case inside the console to make sure that you cannot hear the drive running. And he actually talked several times about other things that they've done to baffle the console and make it more quiet. He says over and over, quiet. This is a a big thing for them. Right from the beginning he mentions it, and he mentions it again at the end, that the thing running quietly was a big thing for them. And then here's two big things that a lot of people didn't know yet. Wi-Fi 6, it has a Wi-Fi 6 antenna. It also has a Bluetooth 5.1 antenna. And both of those are like bleeding edge, 
right at the at the breaking edge of tech. Um, so they're future proofing it a little bit. They've gone above and beyond with those antennas for this. But look, everything's going Wi-Fi. Everything's going like 5G. You got to do it. That's all there is to it. Uh, then 16 gigabytes, a GD, GDDR6 RAM. Um, at 448 gigabytes per second. That's a big pipeline. That's a huge advantage for PlayStation 5. Um, and then a 350-watt internal power supply. Matt, why do I have a 550-watt power supply in this PC here at the studio That for this crappy like GTX, I think it's like a 970 or whatever I have in this PC here just to render video. Why do I need a power supply like that but the PS5 that can render crap at 4K 120 frames per second, don't forget that, 8K, what the hell? What what gives there? Because wattage has nothing to do with power. Like, that's just not... I mean, also, like, most PC power supplies you're going to get are vastly more than you'll ever need for that PC because you'd rather have more than too little. Well, the, graf- um, the graphics card will tell you when you buy it. You need at least this power right, supply. Right, but you need Just that to run pow- the, the GPU. Pa- but the power supply runs the card and the hard drives and the CPU and the motherboard yeah. and everything. It runs everything, so you need some extra... Same you know, thing with usually PS5. you want a little extra space. Yeah, but you know exactly what components are going into PS5, so you don't need to overestimate. You don't need well, to have that extra at. It's interesting headroom. how when you really, if you're someone like Cerny and you can fine-tune an architecture that you can create basically a PC that will run crap at like 8K and you only need yeah, 350 watts. The, the, the resolution doesn't matter. Like you just, as long as you can, pow- I mean, you can, as long as you can power the graphics card, you yeah, know, but the not point that, is, not as a card. Yeah, but the point but like, is the graphics card that can do that requires more power. It's a no, not cheap. really. Yeah, it does. Like, they, they require, they, they are more powerful chips, but they don't necessarily require more physical electricity to run. I mean, depending on how many fans you've got on that thing, like the, the that's the thing is like one of the reasons it probably requires less, uh, you know, only 350. And it, also remember, it probably doesn't require all that 350 because some of that is there because one day it's going to have to run IVR headset. Um, like the it needs to be able to output some power for that for and for peripherals and the camera and all that other stuff. Same way with like a you know one of the reasons you have 550 on that, P, that PC is so like if one day you decide to stash some put some more components in that thing it'll have enough power to run it. Um, it was one of the reasons I had to replace a power, had to replace a power supply on an old PC because the new uh, the the new card I wanted to put in did require more power than it was able to put out. Um, but like I don't I think if you're looking like one of the reasons you need a lot of power on those new video cards is because the cooling systems are crazy. That's true. And in this the this cooling system too, on this this metal liquid this, cooling Yeah, but that's not going to take very a lot proud of power. Of he that's said that it took him 2 years just to develop well, I believe that. that cooling. But like that's, that's not the, the 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 impressive part of that is not the power consumption. The impressive part is that's definitely part of to the cooling but it's also definitely part of their effort to make it quiet. Yep. Because I don't know what I, the stuff about the Blu-ray drive is weird to me. Because like the people would even complain about the Blu-ray drive being loud. It's the fucking fans. fans. Yeah, it was the fans. Like yeah. as soon as I go to the menu in Horizon Zero Dawn, it sounds like the PlayStation <laughs> is about to fly away. I guess. <laughs> Prepare so clearly for that was off. a big. Clearly that's a big priority for them. And that's and, a, it's uh, good. It should be. I yeah. mean, as loud as their last couple consoles have been, that's that's the right. Yeah, move. and it doesn't bother me too much because mine's across the room and like there's a sound, surround sound system. But also, especially I bet in Japan, you're probably playing these things in smaller rooms uh, right up against them. The thing I'm interested in is how much heat this thing puts off. Yeah, um, I'm guessing a lot. <laughs> yeah, and same with the, the Xbox Series X. Like people who are you're still under NDA, but it's there like are people playing that. 
they're saying it's overheating two hours. It shuts down to save itself because it's too hot. Like the fact that it like if you're in a, a small room, you can feel it heating the room up because it puts out my so plasma much TV does that. Yeah, my plasma is really up bad the room about when that. It's, on. <laughs> it's crazy. I used to I like when it when it gets cold here because I'm in this room I'm in. I have my 65 inch plasma, like my old plasma that yeah. I replaced the 4K. I have it in here because I didn't want to get rid of it because it's such a good TV. So that's what I used for my old systems as I hook it up there and and that. Um, if it's really cold because it's a small room, I'll just turn the TV on. That's <laughs> all you gotta to do. heat it up. I can put like, my hand above the vents on the back of my TV, and you feel yeah. the heat coming out of it oh, like yeah. a heat vent. It's crazy. Um, and then there was a couple other things that just were kind of mentioned this week that I wanted to catch you guys up on before we move on. Um, and this relates to a topic we just discussed last week: Dirt Five Cross Save Xbox Series X only. So if you play Dirt Five. On PlayStation 4, your save will not work on PlayStation 5. This goes back to what we were talking about last week with uh, Yakuza, Mm -hmm. how it would work. There has to be something about the architecture of that thing that you have to build it from the ground up to do it. PlayStation right now seems like it's the only one that can do it. The Marvel Spider-Man, that save's Mm going to work, but for everybody else, apparently it's not. Um, Well, Spider-Man's not. Miles Morales will. Miles Morales will. That's right. Marvel Spider-Man won't. Yeah, if you have an old PS4 save, it will not work on the remastered version. Um, There has to be something. Yeah, that's not great. Like, there has to be some... I mean, certainly for certain things, I would want to, like... Like, what about Destiny? I don't know. Like is that just is that a, is that carried server side? Is that <laughs> like know, a, you man. know? I don't I don't. So there's a lot of questions yeah, there. There are, and that is maybe the the last X factor with PlayStation Five at this point is how yeah. that stuff really works. Because right now we're getting mixed messages from third parties and Sony. Yeah, I mean, it, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I'm getting Watch Dogs Legion and Assassin's Creed on Xbox because you know because I know I won't have to start over I when the new totally system shows. I understand it. It makes a difference. Absolutely. Uh, then one final piece of information for PlayStation 5 trophies are going to 999. Um, there, you still earn them the same, but instead of 100, they're going to 999. Do you think that's a good idea? To not of what? Like how many you can get per game? I think is what is what I oh. assumed. I mean, good luck. <laughs> Guess you give me a trophy per enemy. I mean, that seriously, range. like everything you kill, you get a trophy. I mean, I like. Yeah. I mean, I like it because it gives developers more options, and I do think that like with one hundred, they're kind of too stingy. Like, I would prefer to get them a little more often than I do. Not yeah, that I, mean, I even would know. guess that no one's going to actually use a thousand, you know, a thousand trophies. But like, it's better to have that. I'll be honest. There, I don't I even know when I get trophies because I have to. I turn off all that stuff to capture footage. I don't want mm-hmm. like a notification popping up like Matt wants me to play squadrons or whatever. Like so, all that stuff's turned off. I don't even know. But when I go back and I start looking like through like the screenshots I've that I have on my console, that's when I know how many I got. Because for whatever reason, the PS4 automatically takes a screenshot when you get a trophy. Oh, I turned that off years ago. Oh, I didn't know you could. You can turn that. Off. I turned that off long ago because it was. Like, still have I your have hard like drive. Gigs of hard drive space <laughs> devoted to screenshots of trophies that no one. Well, has now ever that I have a at. pro, is taking the screenshots in 4K too, so it's really yeah, exactly. Up space. Yeah, that's that. I think I turned it off shortly after I got the pro because of that specifically. I have not done it yet. I will. It was know, literally I taking 4K screenshots for trophy. <laughs> thing. I mean, no, no. Yeah. So anyway, they're they're boosting the trophies available for each game. I don't think any game's going to go to 999. But I think a lot I mean, of them they go to like 150 will. or 200, something like that. I bet one will just to say they did. May, like yeah. some, some weird yeah, they'll indie name. They'll name the game we'll like 999 yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think we had that already, didn't we? I think there is a game called that, yeah. yeah. But I could, 
I definitely could see one someone doing truth. that. Some weird little thing, little game doing that just to like get people to buy it. Yeah. You know, like sort of like you remember when uh, that stupid Avatar: The Last Airbender game sold like crazy because you could get a thousand achievement achievements points in like the first that. like five <laughs> minutes. Like and yeah, King Kong it launched. Like you get all this. King Kong was a really like easy an one. Hour. Man, yeah. I saw, saw. We all played King <laughs> Kong when that system came out when 360 yeah. launched, right? Yeah. Like I saw some shit on Twitter the like a month or so ago where people were trying to like say that that King Kong game was actually one of the best games on 360 and is horribly <laughs> underrated and actually a hidden gem. And I'm like, no, that game blew. That game was just a video, like a tech demo, basically. There's people no, no. People are crazy, care. I think you're, I think you're just getting into like, again, were you 12 when the 360 launched? Because that's, I think that's why you like that King Kong game so Very much. possible. So anyway, that's the latest update on PS5 from Japan. My guess is that's it. That's the last update we probably get as far as like official updates mm-hmm. from PlayStation. They unless we get another, uh, unless left. we get another round of pre-orders at some point because that hasn't happened yet. I think that's going to happen because the other thing that was announced this week, Jim Ryan said that uh, that the PS5 is going to outsell the PS4 in its launch window by a significant margin, meaning mm-hmm. you're going to have to make have a, a lot, lot of, lot of units. Meaning. That there's no way that the pre-orders that happened already accumu- right. accounted for all those there, units. There were some rumors Don't that uh, there were some rumors that what the Xbox Series X has been put out on pre-orders is it. No, really. Like that's what it's that's, that's what's going to be. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just you know that's just Reddit chatter, really. Don't give but, up, though, uh, guys. I think if you still are looking for these, I think if you if you do person, a lot of people are going to give up. That's the thing. And if you mm-hmm. don't give up and you're one of the people who stick with it, I think you'll get one. So if you yeah, really I, want I've, one. I've still got Wario 64 on notifications yep. popping up on, on Twitter, even though I'm reaching my, my, my breaking point, man, because a lot of what he tweets about <laughs> is stuff I really don't care about. Like, I really don't care what the Mario pins look like, dude. I didn't need three tweets popping up on my phone he's about that one. He's very granular. He's also a huge Nintendo fan. Yeah, so. I know. I know. <laughs> I like, mean, he's, he's Wario 64. So. Of course. <laughs> But you see, you see the tweets pop up on the phone specifically yeah. for a couple of weeks, and you're like, "I, I did oh, not turn on notifications for him. I just follow him. And whenever I'm like, I have time now to try I to look for this, him, I go to his feed. Yeah, for this, I just like you know wanted to keep keep advised because like you never know. For a while, there was like you never know. It like makes you know, sense. suddenly there was, you know, for a few days there was like suddenly there's more. It like, was touch and go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did. There was many times I didn't think I was going to get them, and I ended yeah. up getting them both. But and I really want. I really do want another pre-order of a PS5 so I can cancel my bundle at GameStop oh, and yeah. not have to get all that I extra didn't even think crap. Think about that, man. You're still holding that right now, huh? Yeah, I mean, I I have the I have another one too from Amazon, which is fine. But the other one is as a gift for somebody. And uh, who wasn't able to get one, but like, I'd really rather just get the system and not spend the extra $300 on the bundle. I mean, it's not like anything in the bundle would be useless to us, like either me or them, mm-hmm. one way or the other, um, except that destruction game that no one gives a shit about. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to like turn that around real fast and get rid of it. <laughs> like, just- <laughs> um, you may want to uh, play it. All the Xbox no, fans are pointing out it's the only true exclusive at the launch of PlayStation 5. Demon Souls. No, that's that's then they had the caveat that's not a remake or an old game. It is a remake. No, they said that it's not. The, it is a remake. They, oh, it's no, a, okay. the statement is Destruction All Stars is the only true exclusive PlayStation 5 launch game that isn't available on another console eventually or isn't an old game. <laughs> well, there that's might, there the might, phrase that they're using to try to dance around. Well, there might be a reason for that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, 
Uh, if that's the case, how come it's the game that looks the most like something I've already played a hundred times? Exactly. Yep, it's true. Uh, so anyway, there you go. That's Game Face 231. Um, we're going to do a big Q&A. And for those of you who are like, man, I'd like to get on this Q&A, but the show isn't streaming live. Um, every Wednesday, I go and I'll tweet. So follow us on Twitter at Sifted Games. Or you can go to the website and we start. We will ask for questions. Uh, there's an official Game Face thread in our forum. But if you go to sifted.net, usually up in the header, it'll say Game Face questions. Just click on that. And ask questions. Some people have already figured out, and we have tons of questions for the end of today's show, which is great. Uh, But before we get to those, here's a word from our sponsor. Do you live life outdoors? DeShazer Ryan Realty has a nice level lot just outside of Libby, Montana that's perfect for you. With access to Crystal Lake via shared dock and boat ramp, it's an ideal location to build the getaway home of your dreams or just park your RV. Enjoy fishing, paddleboarding, kayaking, boating, and more just a few steps away. It can be yours for just $72.5. No matter where you live, contact Doug DeShazer at 406-291-1643 or DeShazerMT at gmail.com. Even if you're not looking for property in Montana, he can connect you with local realtors in your area who can help you. If you want to see more, head over to DeShazerRyanRealty.com. That's DeShazerRyanRealty.com. Thanks once again to DeShazer Ryan Realty for sponsoring Game Face and Sifted. It makes a world of difference to us. So thank you very much. And now it's time for our Q&A. You guys sent us some great questions. As usual, we're going to kick things off with Zet Saber. He says, what do you want in a Need for Speed game? Something we actually did not answer uh, when we talked about Need for Speed. I was happy with the 2010 Hot Pursuit, but people online still had many complaints about the game when it came out. What is your secret sauce for arcade, arcade driving games? Do you have any secret sauce, Matt, for arcade-style racing games? I mean, I like I like them to commit one way or the other. Um, so, like, my two, if I were you're going to have me pick a Need for Speed game to bring back to remaster, I would either say go full tilt into the customization tuning stuff, like with Underground, like picking up one of the Undergrounds and take that and do it up to the hilt with like all the customization, all the wraps, all the vinyls, all the you know the world, everything like that, or Go back to Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit, the original one, which was a straight-up arcade racer on design tracks, no open world. Atlantica is one of my favorite tracks in the history of racing games. Like, full-on arcade track-based racer where you just pick pick different cars with slightly different stats, however you like to drive, and just drive it. Like, that would, those would be my two ways to go with Need for Speed. Either go, um, also, uh, point-to-point, not, not circuit. Okay. I would. I always prefer that. So I would say, as like an old school PlayStation One era Need for Speed racer in the vein of Three or Porsche Unleashed, which are just like point to point racing through like weird, cool, uh, cool zones and and environments with the with the cops chasing you, or go full tilt, you know, like like underground um, tuning car culture with it like one or the other but don't try to do both don't try to kind of split the difference go down the middle um pick a lane no pun intended and just go for broke (laughs) with it it. like commit to the concept one way or the other okay i'm gonna go a little more general and just kind of tackle arcade style driving games in general um and for me what separates an arcade style racing game from a sim racing game more than anything is the ability to drift and not just being able to drift, but the drifting has to have some level of competence needed. Not drifting where, 
hey, I'm turning, and now I hit the drift button, and suddenly smoke is coming off the back of my tires. I'm talking about, like, Mario Kart 64-type drifts, where it's skill-based, and there's a reward for being good at it. Um, That, to me, is what separates the good arcade-style racers from the average ones. Um, And obviously, it makes you can do whatever you want in Mario Kart, because it's a cartoon. So it doesn't always make as much sense in games like Need for Speed, but I I don't see why there's any reason why a Need for Speed game can't have a boost system like the Mario Kart games do, where you have three levels of boost, and the better you are, the higher level you're going to reach on the shorter turns. Um, So I would welcome that to other arcade-style racing games, and to me, that's what really separates playing arcade-style racing games from playing sim racers. Uh, next up, from at Mighty Bromax on Twitter. Uh, what do you guys want the most from Horizon Forbidden West? Based on what uh, weren't... Okay, I don't understand the rest of this question. What do you guys want the most from Horizon Forbidden West based on what what wasn't done so well in Zero Dawn slash Frozen Wilds? Uh, there's quite a lot uh, I want to see improved, but probably the first two things that come to mind are way better melee combat and the ability to climb everything. Okay, I'm just going to stop you right there at the climb everything and just give you the big. No, <laughs> that is yeah. the last thing I no, want. No, do, do not turn Horizon into No, no, you keep Breath your of Breath of the, of the Wild out of yeah. my Horizon, bro. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Uh, and I don't need better melee combat. The melee combat is a get out of jail, like like get off me thing. It shouldn't be better melee combat. You should be using the bow. You should be using the traps. You should be yeah. uh, hunting these things. You're supposed to use melee yeah. as a primary form of combat in the game. Yeah, and that's and that works the way it is. The thing I want out of the thing improvement I want of something that wasn't done as well as it could have been in the first game, because I don't agree with those two things being not as good as they could have been because they were choices. Mm. The, those the climbing yeah. and the and the melee in Horizon Zero Dawn worked exactly as intended. The thing that I think they need to improve on, and I think they will with the help of what they've learned on the on the engine through Death, Strand, Death Stranding, um, facial animation and lip sync. Yeah, um, it, I, I've been actually replaying it a little bit recently because one of my friends started playing it for the first time. So I went back and started playing a little bit to kind of refresh myself because to, to sort of, sort of go along with it a little bit and give some advice on the way. Um, and it is actually stunning to me how bad the facial animation and lip sync is. The cinematics in, the in general for the conversation, like that all needs overhauled. The whole conversation yeah. system needs overhauled. The angles that they use for that stuff just look awful and awkward and there's nothing cinematic about them. Um, the voice acting is fine, but as Matt said, the facial animation is like a travesty. So I agree. The faces don't match the voice acting at all. Yeah. Like the quality of the quality of the presentation does not match the effort the voice actors are putting in. Yep. And it's really, really noticeable. It's three years on. Agreed. Uh, next up from Joaquin Dragoon, which route will you take in Cyberpunk 2077? Gangster? Nomad? Corporate? Why? I have no idea. I am I'll, I'll decide be, that when I get it. I'm going to be the street kid. I, I would lean Nomad, but I don't know. The we'll Nomad, I, I'm not a big Mad Max. I like Mad Max, but I'm not like a gigantic Mad Max fan. And I think most people who really like Mad Max and that kind of aesthetic are going to take that. Um, usually in games, I try to like pick characters or classes that are most like me in real life. Why I consider myself a street kid, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I've lived in cities most of my life, so maybe that's part of it. But I think yes, I really the skater. I guess I think I just relate to that class more as like as far as looking at myself and like who I would. I'm just be gonna. I don't care about what I resemble the most. I'm just gonna have to look at what you can do uh, uh, coming out of the gate. Because it doesn't. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter. No, like, you're gonna be able to build too, a character like, you want. 
you can end up becoming whatever you want in this game. It's just kind of like yeah. your launch pad more than anything. Uh, next, from at trick underscore question seven on Twitter, what are your favorite Halloween moments, real life, event, movie, or game? A little um, early for this, but I wanted to include it anyway. It's fun. Um, I don't know. I got some stories, but nothing appropriate for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I could go on and on. For me, up until the last few years of my life, Halloween has been a huge thing for me and my wife. We would go out. We'd get dressed up. We'd go out to like a club and hear a DJ or go to a concert. We've... We have done something fun, crazy, exciting for Halloween, like, ever since we've been together, pretty much. Um, So I could go on and on. I went to some crazy raves on Halloween, like, back in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, where they just did it up right, where, like, literally Mm -hmm. it's, like, 10,000 people, and you're, like, in a mausoleum, and it's, like, convincing. And stuff like that probably are the memories that have stuck with me the most for Halloween. But then I remember, like, when I was in, like, the fourth grade, me and my friends were out egging windows, <laughs> like out egging and soaping windows. And uh, one of my friends soaped the car window of the parent of some kid that we went to school with. And the kid came out and like yelled at us for it. And I just punched him in the face and knocked him out. <laughs> Literally just one punch. I punched him and he went out cold and we ran away. And so I'll never forget that. And I feel terrible about it, even though I was like in the third grade or whatever. But that's another Halloween memory I'll probably have forever. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to the I used to go to the Castro oh, parties. That's a good back time in the too, 90s. man. That's insane. Um, they don't do it anymore, but like yeah. um, they used to basically they'd have they opened basically an entire area of San Francisco to be this one huge I street forgotten party. About that it was great, and um, it, was it was amazing. You know, <laughs> I was like, we, we went several years in college in the mid '90s, and it was just you'd never seen anything like you can't it. Can't put it, it into words. Amazing. The stuff no. that you'll see. It was like some of it you don't want to see. Some of it, but like imagine like taking like the rave party you're describing, except it's like seven city blocks. Yeah, it's on like, the streets too. It's just astounding. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I went to it a couple times, and and uh, it was like for it, late '90s. It started to get a little rougher. They started to add metal detectors, but in like '94, '95, I remember like no nothing bad happened. Because like, it was there San was Francisco. Like, That's the way the city used to yeah, be. It used to be that way. Yeah, it used not to, anymore. No. Uh, next up from Rafael Michael. Uh, we've seen today that the PS5 plates can be easily removed, thus facilitating the potential for tons and tons of custom plates, just like the 3DS did. Shane and Matt, what would be your dream PS5 custom plate set? I don't care. Like, I will never change that, I, I guarantee you. I mean, you. I'd honestly just be cool with all black. Like, all black would be nice. Like, I'd maybe rather something... have an all black console than a black and white one. Maybe something Shadow of the Colossus related or something, but, like, I'm never going to go out of my way to get... A custom plate for that. Like thing. if I ever get I, extra plates for it, they're not gonna be for like the Steelers or the Penguins <laughs> or like my favorite video game franchise. It's gonna be something like artistic, where like the plate is like shaded or it's like textured different stuff like that. It's not gonna be like, hey, now I have a Tales of Symphonia PlayStation Five. Like I'm not gonna do stuff like that. Um, it'll be something that'll make sure that it still looks good after it's over. <laughs> Um, and I think these plates, like, I wouldn't even be surprised if within a couple months after the PS5 goes on sale, there might even be plates on day one. Who knows? We just maybe not, don't know about it yet. Um, and then our last and question. And it might just end up, it might end up being just nothing because, like, 
I mean, you remember when the big thing was like the custom face plates for the 360? Yeah. When was the last time you thought about that? Well, I just thought about them this last month because I've been doing like a big purge of all of my closets. And I found mm. literally a stack of 360 face plates this high, like <laughs> 20 of them, where I had just been getting them and just stacking them on yeah. top of each other. And I did, I did not throw them out, Matt. I don't know why. I don't know why I kept them. I don't have any. I did find when I was I was going through the garage a few weeks ago, and I did find that E three the E three oh five one. Oh, dude, that was worth like tons of money. Still, yeah, it's it's still in the styrofoam. I never opened it at all. I it's still, still have in it too. Yeah, I don't think it's worth numbered. anything now. They're all numbered. Those are worth a lot of money, yeah. dude. I went and looked on look eBay like four years ago, and uh, I was shocked at how much they were going. I didn't sell it still, but I I was like, dang, okay, I'll hold on to that one for retirement. But you're right. For the most part, faceplates, worthless. Faceplates, worthless, and Velocity Girl never got to sell her Tony Hawk shirt. <laughs> That's true. Uh, our final question for today's show comes from Commander Fett. Uh, what other mid-tier AAA games would you like to see after the success of Star Wars Squadrons? Okay, I don't know that we know that Squadrons is a financial success yet, but critically it's a success, so we'll take yeah. that. Um, can you think of any, Matt? I mean, I'd like to see them make another Wing Commander. But that's also EA, so I don't and I don't want any multiplayer in it. So I don't I don't know what the, I don't know what what I'd go with that. I don't know for. if he's asking like, is there an old mid tier game that should have done better than it did, or is he asking us like, what game in the future should come out? I don't know. I can't follow it. Um, he says, what mid tier AAA games would you like to see after the success of Star Wars Squadrons? So I think he is saying, okay. What IP would you like to see a budget game made for? And mm. I would say that we're already seeing this. And this is actually kind of a recent development in the <coughs> industry where publishers and IP holders are starting to become a lot more generous with letting other companies use the IP. And I think a good example of that is Super Mario Brothers 35. They gave Mario to this dinky little Japanese developer called Arika. Even five years, no way that would have ever happened. And we're starting to see it in other parts of the industry too, where either companies like Sony are like, okay, we'll let these smaller studios remake our stuff or just remaster our stuff. Um, you're starting to see a loosening of the hold that these IP rights holders have had on this stuff for a long time. They used to be very protective of it. They wouldn't let anyone work on it unless it was them. All that's changing now. Um, it's pretty awesome to see. Like, it's good to see Nintendo let someone else make a Nintendo game so that we don't have to wait every time for Nintendo to make them. And look, how long will it be until a third party makes a mainline Mario game? Maybe never. At least probably 10 years. But the truth is we're starting to see a loosening of this stuff. And so I guess to your point, we're going to see a lot more of this stuff going forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a budget Fallout in the future or a budget Halo in the future or another budget Mario or a budget Zelda. And that we probably should have got that already, actually, with some of the stuff that's been coming out on Switch, to be honest. Uh, some of the games they've been selling for full price uh, on Switch are a little bit of a, of a reach. but Like that should have been Link's Adventure. Right. That should have been like a $30, $40 game. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what I was getting at. So... I think we're seeing it already, and I think you're going to start seeing it with bigger and bigger IP as time goes on. Any other thoughts on that, Matt? Not really. Okay. All right, that's it for Game Face episode 231. Uh, follow us on social media. It's very important. I'm not that important. 
Uh, but if you want to know what's going on with Sifted, you should either follow me or follow Sifted. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. You can find Matt at M Kyle. That's M K E I L. And you can find Sifted itself at Sifted Games. So if you're listening to Game Face on Spotify or iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts or Google Pod or anything, and you're like, who are these people? I just found this podcast and I keep listening to them every week. We're Sifted, bro. You can find us at Sifted.net. That's S-I-F-T-D. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, we're not doing a show live right now. We're really hurting for Twitch Prime. So if you're watching this either on our Patreon or on Sifted, please go to twitch.tv slash siftedgames and pledge. Um, it's going to be at least a week, maybe two, until we do another live episode. And by that time, the month may have rolled over, and we may not get paid for this month from you guys at all. So please, just take the second. Twitch.tv slash siftedgames to subscribe. If you want to support us with your money on a monthly basis, head to patreon.com slash sifted. Again, S-I-F-T-D. Uh, and you can pledge whatever you want. You can give us a dollar a month, two, uh, 200 if you want, whatever you want. Um, but we appreciate the support from everybody from all corners of the internet. Our crew on YouTube have been amazing. Um, our YouTube memberships have been doing really well. I've been pleasantly surprised by that. You guys are subscribing on YouTube. We appreciate it. Uh, whatever you can do to help us, we really, really appreciate it. So on behalf of Matt, I'm Shane Satterfield. We'll be back next week. Game Face is up and out. Game Face is up and out.